Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. What is it with people? Are they just plain stupid? Ron DeSantis, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're a complete and total fool. What kind of an idiot has a perfectly good governorship and his ego is so great, all of a sudden he thinks he can take on uh, President Trump in a completely losing situation? He's an idiot or he's under the globalist. I'm not sure which. So it's one or the other. Either he's a total idiot uh, or he's under the globalist or both. You know, the fact that he's associated with Elon Musk uh, is not a good sign. Uh, not to me anyway. I used to think Elon Musk, what, 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 first of all, I thought he was an idiot too for buying Twitter for $44 billion when he could have easily sponsored our bill uh, to eliminate all of big tech censorship for maybe $44 million, <laughs> which would be a thousand times less. But he didn't ask me. I, mean, I certainly told him. I mean, I certainly uh, uh, said I have Elon Musk, you know, uh, what is it, Tesla at information. And so, I mean, it went to some minion. He was like, oh, who are you to talk to Elon Musk? You're just a radio talk show host. You don't count. Yeah, well, you know, he'd be one of the smartest guys in the world. But, you know, I don't think I'm that far behind. <laughs> I can see things. I see patterns. I see stuff. And I report on it in ways that uh, I think are, are, are uh, pretty valuable. Otherwise, I wouldn't do this. You know, otherwise, I'd be doing a job that I think I can do well. Sculptor. <laughs> you yeah, give me a marble slab. Let me see what I can make out of this. Okay, you know. uh, but if I could do that, I would. That'd, that'd be interesting. I'd sit all day and chisel away at marble and uh, have a great time and come up with, you know, with like Michelangelo style art and go, yeah, this is really cool. But I can't do that. So I do this instead. Um, I'm kind of like a, a word artist as opposed to a, a, a marble sculpture you know, artist. Um, but uh, that's how it goes. Anyway, um, so I've got uh, my live chat's up. Live chat's already up. I put what a busy day I have planned. Let's see if it all works out. And so we'll, we'll find out. I'll get into Ron DeSantis a bit later. Well, actually, I'm going to get in this half hour. I've got, a, I've got a fascinating article from Peter Navarro. Now, Peter Navarro is Trump's senior advisor on China and trade and a bunch of other things. He's probably his just most senior advisor. Peter Navarro, I think, is one of the smartest guys in the world. Uh, he's a Harvard-educated uh, economics professor. You know, guy knows his stuff. And I was fortunate enough to have Peter Navarro on the show. And so with this article, I made a, you know, I was the first one to actually make a nice, big, bold comment saying, you know, dear Peter Navarro, uh, please consider these bills for President Trump. And so I left a, a comment at the bottom of the article, which is on my Facebook page. But you just go to Peter Navarro's Substack, you know, PeterNavarro.substack.com. Uh, and then go to mine, GregVangles.substack.com. Uh, but his article on uh, DeSantis is, is, is kind of amazing. And I'll go into that too. But uh, I had predicted forever that Ron DeSantis is not going to run because he's not that stupid. Well, apparently I was wrong. Apparently he is that stupid. And so we'll find out. He cannot be Trump. All he can do is spend millions upon millions of dollars um, in a sort of like a lose-lose. Trump loses uh, because he'll have to counter all this nonsense. Uh, and DeSantis loses because he's not going to win. You know, he can't you know, wait till the New Hampshire primary where he comes in like, you know, well, at best he's going to come in a really, really distant second, uh, if not third or fourth. <laughs> you know, and so that's it. And, of course, now Florida's going to hate him. And all the Trump supporters are going to hate him. The only people who, are, who like him are, are Casey DeSantis, his wife, I'm sure wants him to run. We've got to do a show on, on the women, the women that, that push men into politics. You know, John Fetterman's wife, uh, Joe Biden's wife. You know, who else is in there that shouldn't be there? Um, maybe uh, Dianne Feinstein's husband. We can do that, too. But uh, the spouses 
of political folks. They, they get all the trappings of the office with none of the responsibility uh, and none of the consequences for the, the wrong actions of their spouse. But they love living in the White House or they love living in the governor's mansion. Or they love, you know, being a, a senator, you know, or part of the Senate or the part of the House in Congress. And so Jill Biden's probably the worst elder abuser in the country right now. She just loves being in the White House. Uh, but she didn't earn it. It was stolen for her. So not only is she a thief, <laughs> you know, she's, a, she's an, absolute, an elder abuser. Uh, she'll do anything for power. So this obsession with power is really strange. So I don't know what's going on in Ron DeSantis' brain. But I'll tell you right now, uh, if he thinks he's going to get anywhere uh, with the money from the establishment and Elon Musk, um, then something's wrong. Something's wrong with him. And he's, he's going to, you know, he, basically what he's doing now, by running in 2024, he pretty much cancels his chances in 2028. He's an idiot. But, you know, he's got the yes, dear syndrome. You know, Casey says, I want to be in the, I want to be, uh, you know, president. I want to be in the White House like Jill Biden. You know, the yes, dear. <laughs> so he's got, the, he's got the yes, dear syndrome. Uh, so that's kind of stupid. Uh, also, uh, you know, what, what else? It's just, you know, and Elon, too. Elon Musk, like I said, he bought Twitter, Twitter for a ridiculous amount of money. I've got an article that explains that a little bit. But now he's hired to run Twitter, you know, the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, the executive director. Well, what does that tell you? That tells you he's part of the globalist cabal. And so Elon Musk, I never really trusted him entirely, and now I don't trust him at all. And so, uh, you know, but I, I would happily take his sponsorship if you want to sponsor Action Radio. But trust me, anybody that puts money into this organization, it does not change me. It just doesn't. You know, I'll, I'll send money back before I'll change what I do here. All right. So let's get to the article, uh, the first of many um, that I have planned. Let me see if I got – okay, that's my street closure thing. We'll talk about – yeah, in the second hour – uh, after we hear from the lovely and talented Wendy Arthur, um, we're going to uh, – <laughs> normally apply that title to Bill Fecky. Bill Fecky is going to be back soon, too. That's going to be really great to have him back on the first half hour Wednesdays and then Wendy after that. And then who knows after that? I mean, things change here so often. It's crazy. Um, but, um, but in the second hour, there's, a, there's two huge meetings tomorrow in the city of Milton, Florida. And I'm going to make this general because it applies to any small town, but it definitely applies to Milton. And so we'll talk about that uh, as we go, because there's a suicidal plan to expand our beautiful Caroline Street into a four-lane expressway, uh, which will kill Milton. It'll kill the historic district. It'll ruin it. Uh, and what it's going to do is, um, is not only that, but it's going to destroy the historic district. The other thing is it'll attract more traffic. It'll actually attract more traffic. And this is, I have several articles showing this, uh, mostly, hey, Marco. Marco's there in the Netherlands. He just checked in. Um, but the thing is that, that more traffic lanes do not mean faster traffic. You know, you think that, hey, well, more traffic lanes, you know, then traffic will flow faster. Well, only if the same amount of traffic's there. In other words, if you double the, the, the number of lanes and you keep exactly the same traffic, yeah, it will move faster. But that's not what happens. What happens is as soon as you get a, a four lane as opposed to a two lane, it attracts even more traffic and it actually ends up slowing down. And so it, it, although it sounds counterintuitive and people don't believe it, um, all the studies show that. So the more traffic lanes you have, the slower the traffic. That's why, why do you think the expressways are the most crowded ways to go uh, for a commute? Because everybody hops on the expressway thinking they're going to go faster, you know, as opposed to taking some of the back. Sometimes back roads are faster. Expressways are faster if nobody's there. But if, they're, if everybody's on the expressway, then they ain't going anywhere fast. Look at Los Angeles. Probably travel faster on the, quote, surface streets. So back roads are the way to go. But you have to have them interconnected. So that, well, and I'll explain it in the articles. I want to get to the Peter Navarro piece because I have, I have many comments on that. So let me see if I can find. This is going to be the fun today is finding the articles where I put them. <laughs> That's going to be part of the challenge this morning. I got that one. I got that one. Ah, here we go. So Peter Navarro, one of my favorite people, not because he was on the show, but that too. But just by the fact it was, I think he's one of the smartest folks out there that really actually knows what's going on. So he wrote, 
uh, on the article, Handicapping the Trump DeSantis Face-Off. And this is from May 24th. And, of course, the first comment at the very bottom of it is mine. Let's see if one of you responded. Should I take a look? Kind of curious now. Let's, uh, let's see if he, he did that. Uh, live radio, in other words, is very, spon- very spontaneous here. Live chat's open. The Skype line's open if you want to try calling in from around the world. Call in one day, and I'll approve it, and you can actually talk to me the next day on the air live. So this is, I mean, he's got four comments. Mine's the biggest one. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, and no reply yet. Come on, Peter. So I put four bills into my comment. And the four bills are, first of all, I, I said, I'm so glad you explained, you know, how deviously Trump was lied to during, uh, during COVID. Anyway, so the four bills I have are vaccine product liability, ending big tech censorship, constitutional amendment to stop Congress borrowing money, uh, and no withholding of money from you folks uh, on the income tax until after you've earned your standard deduction amount. So in other words, you don't have to wait um, a year to apply to get your money back. They just don't take it in the first place a year earlier. And so that, I think, is, is the best way to start getting rid of the withholding tax, which is all part of the master plan. So handicapping the Trump to say his face off. This is what uh, Peter Navarro says about it. You already know what I say. <laughs> He's a suicidal globalist idiot. Um, he says the, the great, let's brighten the screen a little bit. Here we go. The great never Trump hope is finally throwing its boxing gloves into 2024, uh, the 2024 presidential ring. Here's how the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Oh, here's how Oh, he says the that's what, actually what he says. Here's how the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, will try to knock out the greatest counterpuncher in American politics. That'd be Donald Trump, right? <laughs> he says DeSantis will first try to claim Trump can't win. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. While Trump decisively beats both Biden and DeSantis in national polls, uh, look, out, looking, look out for DeSantis-friendly pollsters showing DeSantis taking key battlegrounds like Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Um, aren't those the states where Trump electors are still valid? where the state legislators still have to decertify their brand and fraudulent electors and put the Trump electors in. See, here's the, here's the big thing, too. As I've said ever since 2020, there will be no 2024 unless we correct 2020. And it was true because 2022 uh, was also a botched election that was stolen. Uh, Carrie Lake is still fighting it. Most everybody else has given up. But uh, I don't think that the Senate for a second uh, was won by the Democrats. I know it was won by the by the uh, by the Republicans. And I'm sure that the House actually has a lot more members uh, that are Republican that are actually there now because of vote fraud. So that they didn't steal the election, but they stole enough of it. And I know Brandon never won uh, against Donald Trump because Brandon could never be Donald Trump in a fair election. I mean, that's just obvious to anybody that looks at politics. And so when they when people say, well, there's no proof that uh, Donald Trump won the election. I said, well, first of all, there is. <laughs> you just won't look at it. But secondly, you don't even need proof. Just look at simple logic. You know, look at poll numbers. Look at policies. Do you think Americans voted for a single thing or would vote for a single thing that Brandon is doing if given the option? And the answer is no. And most of that he talked about during the campaign, raising the cost of energy, restricting our energy, moving to green nonsense, you know, opening the borders. And, you know, all the stuff he, thought of, he talked about doing, you know, knocking down the police, knocking down the military, uh, screwing around their foreign policy. We all knew this was coming, sucking up to China. Now, he didn't use those exact words, but that's basically what he said from the basement where he didn't campaign because nobody went to his rallies. I mean, that, you, you can just do a, a poll rally. I mean, how many people went to Trump rallies versus how many went to Brandon rallies? <laughs> you know, you look at the proportions, it's staggering. Anyway, so there's no way that uh, Brandon could be Donald Trump in a fair election. No way. It's impossible. Ain't going to happen. Didn't happen. And that's, how, that's one of the reasons I know Trump won is just simple logic. Let's get back to the article. He says, DeSantis will first try to claim Trump can't win. While Trump decisively beats both Biden and DeSantis in national polls, look out for DeSantis-friendly pollsters showing DeSantis taking key battleground states, 
Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. The other ones being Nevada, uh, New Mexico, um, um, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. And I think that's it. This should be seven. I think Michigan as well. Yeah, so those are the seven battleground states that still have Trump electors. Outstanding. We're waiting. Hello, people. What's wrong with you, you gutless Republican geldings? You know, that should be the new party, uh, the GRGs. Instead of the GOP, we'll call them the GRG, the gutless Republican geldings. That pretty much sums them up. He's, and then Trump's, uh, excuse me, Navarro says, and these misleading polls will gleefully disseminate by the, uh, disseminated by the never Trump media uh, from CNN, MSNBC, and Fox to ABC, CBS, and NBC. So basically, they're the only, uh, and, and don't count Newsmax as, as Trump-friendly. They're not. Uh, a couple of the hosts are. You know, the only two I really listen to, uh, Rob Schmidt and Eric Bowling. Uh, you can you can have the rest of them. I don't care much for Newsweek other than those two. They're the only two that actually um, believe and almost say, because uh, they can't, because Chris Reddy won't let them, almost say that the election was a total fraud. They almost say it, but they don't say it completely because, you know, they still work for Chris Reddy at Newsmax. Uh, the only place, and even and I wish uh, One American News was more open about this, that the election was a total fraud. But at least we all know they know. So I'll, I'll listen to pretty much any of those folks simply because I know they know the election was stolen and they're pretty much reporting it, but not exactly. All right. Back to the article. Navarro says, as a counterpunch, Trump will urge all his supporters, particularly disaffected Fox viewers, <laughs> to move to more MAGA-friendly outlets like Newsmax, which just pushed past CNN in prime time. Real America's Voice, uh, home to MAGA's loudest Trump savers, uh, trumpet, uh, save Trump, is Steve Bannon. And then, of course, there's One American News. Real America's Voice, I really haven't checked out much yet. I suppose I should. But I get Steve Bannon on Frank's speech, so I get, I get plenty of Steve Bannon. And my favorite, Emerald Robinson. Uh, who had me on the show talking about vaccine product liability. She's the only major host in the country that's actually had me on discussing, um, you know, one of our bills. And we need a lot more of them. We need, uh, I need to be on, you know, uh, a few shows, you know, at least once a week for this to really start catching on. So anyway, Navarro says here DeSantis has already allied himself with the MAGA-hating open borders China appeasing donors of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and the multinational corporations whose bottom lines depend on offshoring of American jobs, in other words, sending our jobs overseas, and importing uh, of illegal alien labor. Let me read that again. This is really the key to why DeSantis is, has basically sacrificed himself uh, for no reason, for, you know, uh, for Casey, you know, his yes dear wife, <laughs> you know, yes dear, okay, I run for president, yes dear, uh, and the globalists, you know, the Elon Musk uh, and all the other folks. Uh, Navarro says here, DeSantis has already allied himself with the mega-hating, open borders, China-appeasing donors of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and the multinational corporations whose bottom lines depend on the offshoring of America jobs and importing of illegal alien labor. That's pretty much it. So in other words, uh, seduced by the dark side, he has been... Not strong in the forces, DeSantis, anymore. Sorry, I'm just channeling Yoda. <laughs> anyway, um, Navarro says DeSantis has also received the full-throated backing of the second most hated man uh, in MAGA, that'd be Make America Great Again, behind only George Soros. And that would be the Australian globalist, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, he's the one that runs Fox, right? Uh, has pledged the full force of his Fox News New York Post empire. So I'm really sorry that Rupert Murdoch owns New the New York Post because they actually are a good news source. Um, but, and then Miranda Devine is, is a fabulous editor. She's Australian also. That's probably how she got the job, you know, being Australian. Rupert Murdoch's Australian. But they're editorials. Let's see how, how much they slant them uh, towards Ron DeSantis and away from Trump. Peter says, uh, it's not for nothing DeSantis has fallen in the polls as his globalist backing has been revealed. 
<laughs> Oops. Well, I mean, I used to like him, but, but don't forget, I was the one that first condemned him for being a dictator during uh, the early COVID days. You know, everybody forgets, uh, although I'm happy to remind people, that he closed the beaches, he closed the schools, he closed the parks. He had this safer at home program. He had all these horrible things. He was as bad as Gretchen Widmer of Michigan, except that it didn't last as long. You know, Gretchen Widmer, which Widmer, kept her policies in place as long as possible. You know, DeSantis realized pretty quickly that he was screwing up and his policies were hated. They were unconstitutional, they were, uh, which makes them blatantly illegal, uh, and they were unenforceable. And so we all rebelled, at least a few of us, and said, no, <laughs> I'm going to drive with my windows down and scream out the window. I'm not going to stay at home. And go wherever damn well please. Who the hell are you? You know, you cannot, the Constitution's always in force. You cannot restrict any of our constitutional rights, regardless of how bad the emergency is. The government always wants to do that. The first response for any emergency, well, we better start uh, curbing those constitutional rights. No, the Constitution is at its most valuable during an emergency. It was written during a national emergency, the war for independence. You know, I mean, it was right after that, after we, we beat Britain, that uh, in, in our national, in our initial forming, a national emergency, that's when the Constitution was written. So it came from a national emergency. That's why there's no clause in it to suspend it, restrict it. There's no emergency clause like the, the Weimar uh, Constitution. That's what, of course, led to Hitler, because they had an emergency clause. They said that rights are only enforced as long as there's no emergency. Well, of course, the first thing the government does is declare an emergency. It doesn't matter what the emergency is. They'll just declare it. There'll always be one. So if you ever have an emergency clause, then you lose your constitution. It's meaningless. It's like having a, a balanced budget. The reason the balanced budget amendment is useless is because it always says, well, if Congress, uh, if there's an emergency, then it doesn't apply. Well, then what's the point of it? <laughs> Congress will declare an emergency and uh, deficit spend any time. If you notice our bill, our constitutional amendments take away the power of Congress to borrow money. There is no emergency clause for good reason. Because if they want to spend money, then they have to find it somewhere else or they have to save for it. You know, they can, they, you can get through any pandemic or, or war without borrowing money. You can. Yeah. End it quickly. <laughs> That's the way you do it. We can nuclear weapons. We can end any war, any war in about half an hour. So because we have nuclear weapons and because we can end any war in about half an hour, there's no reason to borrow money for a nuclear war. As far as pandemics go, the cure for the pandemic was freedom, especially freedom of information. And the information was that hydroxychloroquine plus zinc plus azithromycin plus vitamin D3 plus vitamin C, the Zelenko protocol, killed COVID. COVID was only a, a, a multi-week phenomenon. It was over by mid-July. I've got the CDC chart to prove it. In fact, I put it on every year's show. The CDC chart that you see on my show, every show now, that slide, that green slide where the death rate goes to zero mid-July 2020, that's the end of COVID. Everything else after that is government misinformation on people dying on the remdesivir ventilator death march for no reason. So they could scare people into getting um, the messenger RNA you know, gene shot. No reason for that either. COVID was done mid-July. COVID was done six months before the, quote, vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, came out. People need to know that. That's my job. But it's your job to share this so everybody knows it. Back to the article. DeSantis has also received the full throat. Okay, I already said that. Here we go. DeSantis' third line of attack may be the strongest card he will play to try to split Trump's broader Republican and independent base. DeSantis will position himself as the intrepid Fauci fighter who rejected Trump lockdowns. Well, I already proved that's a lie. (laughs) And the forced, I should tell Peter Navarro about that, and the forced vaccination of what DeSantis will scornfully portray as the Trump vaccine. Okay, now this is where this is really important. Uh, mark your mark your tape, mark your time, what, 719, okay. This is really important. 
This is what Peter Navarro says. President Trump has already counterpunched with strong opposition to forced vaccinations, which is true, and anything remotely looking like a vaccine passport. That's true also. Yet the best counterpunch Trump may ultimately throw is this. Listen carefully. Even as Trump was moving mountains to successfully deliver what he thought was a true vaccine in record time, the president was being lied to. Peter Navarro says, I know I was there. This is what Trump needs to explain in his next, um, next rally. He needs to go over this really carefully. He needs to do one big fat mea culpa. So I was lied to. I am sorry. I'm sorry I pushed the vaccine when we had early treatments that worked. I'm sorry I didn't follow the Zelenko protocol. That's what he needs to say. Let me read more. He says, from Tony Fauci, does anybody wonder why I call him Dr. Fascist and have for two years now? Maybe three years. I'm not sure. I have to go back and check. I've been calling him Dr. Fascist for a long time. Peter Navarro says, from Tony Fauci at NIH and Deborah Burks in the White House to Bob Redfield uh, at the CDC and Steve Hunt at the FDA, none told President Trump that the so-called, quote, vaccine, unquote, they were peddling, wasn't a true vaccine at all, but a potentially dangerous immune system-altering jab. To sell the hated lockdown to Trump, many of these same advisors vastly oversold the risks of the pandemic, even as Big Pharma hid data that showed the COVID jabs were anything but safe. Now, I'm going to break here. I hate to say I told you so, um, but I told you so. I told everybody starting in February of 2020, you know, almost a year before the vaccines came out. And actually, they came out January 2021. Congress had them uh, in December of 2020. That's why I believe that Brian Sicknick, the uh, Capitol Hill police officer who died of two strokes at the age of 40, was the first uh, public victim of the COVID jab. Because the, the Capitol Hill got it first. So it makes sense that the first person to die of the COVID jab would be on Capitol Hill. In other words, a Capitol Hill police officer. That only makes sense. That's only logical. Let me read this again. To sell the hated lockdown to Trump, many of these same advisors vastly oversold the risks of the pandemic, even as Big Pharma hid data that showed the COVID jabs were anything but safe. You guys getting it? He says more perniciously, I would say more evil, <laughs> more demonically, but that's me. He says more perniciously, Fauci knew as early as January of 2020, the virus almost certainly came from the Wuhan lab. We told everybody that February 25th. Uh, of 2020 because we had Bill Gertz on who said it. Bill Gertz, Washington Times national security correspondent. We knew. This is when the, the, the Wuhan story came around three years later. It's like, this is, this is three years old news. We, we already covered this. So I didn't bother with it too much. Anyway, he says uh, the virus almost certainly came from the Wuhan lab. He himself had funded the gain-of-function research likely, likely used to genetically engineer what is for all practical purposes a communist Chinese bioweapon. So the reason Fauci knew that uh, COVID came from the Wuhan lab is because he, he, he sent all the research there to make it happen there. <laughs> That's not a big mystery. Right? We all know that. Then he says, uh, to, all right, so what else we got here? So, to, to, okay. Then he says, by withholding that information, Fauci, well, we didn't. <laughs> well, actually came out a little bit later. But uh, Navarro says, by withholding that information, Fauci foreclosed on the opportunity to design a true and safe vaccine. And I would say, Peter Navarro, you didn't need it. You already had hydroxychloroquine, uh, zinc, you know, vitamin D3, vitamin C, and azithromycin. You already had the Zelenko protocol. You had it long before, uh, even, you know, vac- vaccine, the so-called vaccine, the non-vaccine, the COVID jab came out. COVID jab was completely unnecessary because, A, 
Peter Navarro had some 80 million hydroxychloroquine tablets ready to distribute nationwide, which would have ended COVID in about two weeks. And B, COVID died out in mid-July of 2020 anyway, the original strain. And then uh, all these folks resurrected it. See, COVID was saved. Not the American people were saved. Let me say that again. COVID, the virus was saved. So it could be prolonged until the, uh, the COVID jab came out. So how was the, how was the virus saved? Fear, panic, suppresses your immune system. Lockdowns, creating more fear and more panic, suppressing your immune system. Total financial collapse of, of many you know, small to mid-sized businesses, creating more anxiety, suppressing your immune system even further. Masks that don't work, filled with all kinds of chemicals and God knows what. Uh, that you know, cut off your oxygen, lower your, your, your body performance, suppress your immune system. Everything was designed to suppress your immune system. Everything was designed to preserve COVID and kill you. All the lockdowns, masks, closures, school closures, everything that happened was designed to preserve COVID. And it worked. They preserved COVID. And then they lied about it. They went from uh, talking about COVID deaths to COVID cases. You notice the chart that I put on every single show these days, that green COVID chart, where it starts in January, goes up to a peak at April 15th, and it's pretty much gone by July, uh, talks about deaths. So the deaths basically ended mid-July. Everything after that is propaganda. It's right there. It's not hard to find. See if I can finish this before Wendy gets here. So he says, by withholding that information, all the stuff we talked about, Fauci foreclosed on the opportunity to design a truly true and safe vaccine, which, of course, wouldn't be necessary anyway because of everything I just said. Then he says, of course, to put a little extra zip on this counterpunch, Trump will promise to hold Fauci, Pfizer, and the rest of those who are deceived, not just him, but also the American people, fully accountable. Okay, how do we do that? Well, I've already told Peter Navarro <laughs> how to do that if he wants to accept it, if he believes or not believes, but if he'll accept what I say and take it to Donald Trump, and that's our bill on vaccine product liability. That's how you hold him fully accountable. Then you throw their asses in jail. But you hold Big Pharma accountable by making him liable and making him liable. I don't know if you can make him liable retroactively. Um, I don't know. Be interesting. I think you can by fraud because once the, the data is out that they knew that this thing was dangerous. So you can use that. But, uh, but full product liability will stop the next flu shot stop the next COVID shot, the next pandemic shot, and we'll get most, if not all, of the vaccines off the market. So uh, vaccine product liability plus prosecution for fraud of all these folks um, will, help, uh, will help this situation. Then he says, as to how this plays out, President Trump will relentlessly exploit DeSantis' lack of foreign policy experience. I don't know about that. I mean, he was overseas, um, but he was a JAG officer. So that's uh, Judge Adjutant General. He was a lawyer. He's basically a military lawyer. Then he says, the stark contrast between Trump the gregarious billionaire with the commoner's touch, and DeSantis, a, the Nixonian paranoid introvert with weak social skills, will also be a factor. Okay, I've never heard that characterization, but that's kind of, that's kind of funny, actually. So listen to this. The stark contrast between Trump, the gregarious billionaire with the commoner's touch, which actually is an incredible combination. We're never going to see that again in our lifetime. Uh, and then he, says, then he says DeSantis, the Nixonian, of all things to call him, the Nixonian, Nixonian paranoid introvert with weak social skills. That's funny. <laughs> I, should, I should put that line on Facebook. He says, in one scenario, Trump stumbles uh, stum- and DeSantis, now leading the rest of the weak pack, <laughs> emerges as winner. Then it's hard to imagine the well-seasoned Trump would take such a tumble. More likely. Uh, that's that the scenario. I don't think it's going to be that way. He says more likely DeSantis and the other globalist elite funded candidates in the race, like Nikki Haley, will take whatever pound of flesh they can to weaken Trump. And here's the dirty little secret of this scenario. Many of DeSantis globalist elite supporters will be just as happy as the Democrats win. DeSantis is simply the useful idiot to take out Trump. 
Didn't I just say that three days ago? Peter, we're on the same wavelength. Peter Navarro, you should come back on the show. I said exactly that. I said the whole purpose of DeSantis in the race is to make him lose and Trump lose. They don't want DeSantis to win. Because the minute, if DeSantis, you know, uh, in some weird, bizarre scenario, if he actually won the, the nomination, he would be so demonized that the Democrat, didn't matter, even, you know, Brandon could be DeSantis at that point. He could, because he's not Trump. <laughs> you know, now here's, the, here's what gets really interesting. Uh, Peter Navarro says, in the wildest scenario, and this is the one I like, <laughs> okay, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Trump run separately as independents after the uniparty Democrat and Republican national committees cheat them out of their rightful nominations. That is a fascinating scenario. Let me say that again. In the wildest scenario, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Trump run separately as independent after the uniparty Democrat and Republican national committees cheat them out of their rightful nominations. Now, that historic four-way race would be more fun than a barrel of Ross Perot's. Now, didn't I say that? Didn't I say that, uh, that Trump... And uh, Kennedy might team up in some fashion. Didn't I say that this is the greatest uh, election in history in terms of being non-deep state, deep state, that the two most um, hated people are there by their own parties, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. and Donald Trump, Kennedy hated by the Democrats, Trump hated by the Republicans, uh, that this is the first non-deep state election? I think it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, and if they don't, if they are cheated, this is, I never thought about this, though. This is actually where, where Peter has, has uh, said something really interesting, that if they are cheated, uh, the way Bernie Sanders was cheated by, uh, by Hillary Clinton out of his nomination to the Democrat Party. See, I, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind Bernie Sanders, you know, running. And I vote against him. But at least he's, honor, he's an honorable socialist. He believes in socialism. He doesn't waver from his belief in socialism. He doesn't hide what he believes, unlike Hillary Clinton, who betrays herself as a moderate, but she's an absolute communist dictator. You know, and she's criminal. And I don't know how many people she's had killed. <laughs> I mean, of course, that's an allegation at this point. But uh, a lot of people die around here. That's kind of interesting, huh? You know, and so uh, that alone uh, is fascinating. But uh, Wendy's on the line, too. I'm going to ask her opinion about this really quickly. But let me just read this paragraph again. So, Wendy, I'm reading from the uh, uh, Peter Navarro's latest article, which I, of course, have a big fat comment on with our legislation. He says, in the wildest scenario, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Trump run separately as independents after the uniparty Democrat and Republican national committees cheat them out of their rightful nominations. That, to me, is fascinating. So I want to finish this article, and I'll get to Wendy. Uh, it says, most likely DeSantis will merely further energize Trump and his MAGA base, and DeSantis will simply serve as a punching bag uh, and foil to keep Trump sharp for the general election. That would be good. This is most likely because there is neither, there's really nothing more than anyone uh, can say about or do to Donald Trump that hasn't been said or done yet to take him down. Yeah, he's, he's, you, know, you want to talk about the true vaccine? You know, he's, uh, he's actually immunized against everything because it's like I've heard that before. You tried that before, you idiots. Didn't work then. It's not going to work now. Navarro says, meanwhile, buyer's remorse is already thick in the American air as more and more independents, blue-collar Democrats, and even soccer moms are overcoming their Trump phobia. Of course, it's all made up anyway. Juxtaposed against the multiple messes uh, Brandon, my word, has made on the economy, the surrender in Afghanistan, that's what I call it. He just says in Afghanistan and Ukraine uh, at the border, in our schools and women's sports, and on the mean streets of our major cities, Trump looks better and better. That's it. Oh, and the rest is like, you know, bio uh, stuff. I don't have to read that. But anyway, that's where we stand now. All right. Oh, my God. Let's get on to Wendy with the Oh, My God report. Oh, my God. Let me see where do I find it here. Here we go. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? 
Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Oh, did I have fun the first half hour. <laughs> it's one for the record. I should play it back sometime. I was on such a roll. You know, I might even give myself a round of applause. That was so good. Let me do that. I, never, I don't think I've ever done this. Is, this is pure arrogance, I know, but I'll try not to do this too often. But every once in a while, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Let me find this real quickly. Uh, uh, here we go. Why, thank you, Greg. Greg, thanks you. Greg in the third person talking about himself. Thanks you, Greg, for the, the great first half hour. We have to talk about God and arrogance. I love it. Every once in a while. <laughs> I had my moments. But yeah, no, it's just, well, you know, I, I predicted Ron DeSantis, you know, first of all, he wouldn't run uh, because he'd only be an idiot. All he's going to do is lose to Trump. And so Peter Navarro has this right. fabulous article out, right? And so I, uh, I put a big comment at the bottom because Peter was on the show. You know, you can look it up. He was on last fall. And I said, Peter right. Navarro, you know, can you please, you know, send these bills to Donald Trump? You're talking about uh, the big, and he actually explains, uh, if you go back and listen to it, the mayor culpa. Uh, talking about how Trump totally screwed up because he was lied to. And I think Peter Navarro probably tried to get through, but there's too many other people influencing him. should have stuck with Dr. Zelenko, right. who was a friend of mine and a friend of the show. Uh, he should have stuck with um, Peter Navarro, and COVID would have been done by mid-July 2020, and the whole thing would have been over. But he didn't. He got seduced right. by the dark side, and, we, and the rest we know is history. I think, I think we're going to get a mea couple from Trump. I really think we're going to get something from him. Um, that actually uh, he will explain it because Peter Navarro basically paved the way with this article. Anyway, I don't want to take away from, from your report, but uh, that to me is fascinating. There's a real change going on with, with Trump and Navarro and the, and the whole strategy that I really believe in the next rally or shortly he's going to come out and say, look, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Uh, and that will clear the way for millions of people to support Trump again. Just a thought. Well, and, and we shall see how it unfolds. <clears throat> it's always interesting to see the twists and turns in the saga. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if, if DeSantis declares, I will be wrong, because I said he would never declare because he's not that stupid. Apparently I was wrong. He is that stupid. <laughs> but, you know, there's no accounting for uh, idiocy. Well, and, and I'm not sure that he's actually declaring to run um, seriously expecting to win at this point. Um, I just think it's to more. Where'd you go? Oh, you cut out for a second. Hello? More what? Yeah, am you're there. I, am I there? You're there. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear me yeah. now? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, see, I never know. This is why, uh, you know, we need, we need to back up. Let's get Marco listening in the Netherlands. So, Marco, if we ever go quiet, you know, I go quiet, just send me a message real quick. Apparently, I left my mic muted when uh, Katie was here uh, when I was showing her how the show works. Uh-oh. And, oh, yeah. And I, I, well, I, I said, here's what you never do. I said, here's, here's how you mute yourself, but make sure you check it before you go on the air. And I never check. I never mute before I go on the air. So I actually was muted for my first 10 minutes. Uh, so I had to repeat some of it. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Never as good the second time. Oh, anyway, so so I, yeah, I, I teach my example. True. Don't do this, and then I did it. So you know, but you're <laughs> you're back. So <laughs> so if we can if we can if we can uh, recap, uh, you said more something. I said what something? I don't know. You said the last thing I heard was the word more. We're talking to Sanders. Oh, 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 oh! I said it and was idiocy. More, I think he. Yeah, I think he's running more for the, not under the expectation of actually winning an election this time, but more of preparing the in, in people's minds 
for 2028. Yeah, see, that's, but that's not what they're going to remember. They're going to remember he challenged Trump in 2024. I think this cancels his chances in 2028. If he really wanted 2028, he should support Trump now as much as possible and say, hey, oh, look, I, I want to, you know, I want to run, you know, in 2028, because at that point, Trump's not going to be able to run because it'll serve his two terms. That's the smart plan. Well, well, we'll, and we don't know how that's going to play out either, because if yeah. we can get the, you know, the courts to, to acknowledge that the election truly was stolen, then not only does he get to finish the four terms he would have gotten, but then if he gets elect, elected again, then he could actually do another. No, the, the, the 22nd Amendment says that if you serve more than two years, that counts as a term. So ever since January 21st, Trump could claim this term and then run again in 2024. But if he serves in 2024 to 2028, that's it. Because he had his first term, uh, 16 to 20, and then 2024 to 28, that would be two full terms. He would not be able to run after that. But he could take the White House any time now if, the, if the, the, uh, the, the darn, I'll use the, the nicer form of the word, battleground states would simply decertify their brand and fraud electors and uh, you know, certify the Trump electors. He'd be in immediately. And that they don't seem uh, willing to do because they're, they're gutless geldings. Well, they are, but you know, I'm, what I'm trying to say, though, is even if he took over now, it, it, it would not be two years left in, in the term. Right. So really, yeah, exactly. it wouldn't even count as, as a term. He could take over now. Uh, he could take his White House now and then still run and serve the full term 2024. Yep, absolutely. Right. Anyway, we, we should talk about what God says about arrogance <clears throat> and stupidity, <laughs> you know, in politics and power okay. and ego. <laughs> so, so write that, write that down well, for a future you know, show. Yeah. Yeah, well, just just keep in mind, pride goes before a fall. That's all. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. Hear that, Ron DeSantis? Pride comes before a fall, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, it, it kind of rolls over. It's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today because, you know, we're going to continue oh. talking about dis, the disciples. Right. Um, segue away. And Yes, and one of my very favorite disciples, um, because I can relate to him so much, is Peter. Mm-hmm. And Peter was a, an extremely colorful character. <laughs> really? Um, yes. <laughs> it's interesting because yes, we think of the, the, the disciples as boring. You know, the, people think of religion as boring. Jesus is boring. He just taught things and, you know, walked around. It's like, no, this is rich history. I don't even know it. That's why I ask you these questions about these people. So let's, let's do Peter. This is your life on oh, Action Radio. Yeah. Well, Sorry. <laughs> Peter was anything but boring. <laughs> really? What do you Peter, do? Peter was a wild card. Peter was uh, like a bull in a china shop. Um, he was. Wow. I think I like him already. A, a very, yeah. <laughs> he was a, an unschooled, uneducated fisherman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very rough around the edges. He was um, passionate and impetuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and he. Is this my biography you're doing here, or what? I mean, I don't fish, but. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Sounds very familiar. Um, he, yeah. he was a fishing business. He, he was a partner in a fishing business with mm-hmm. uh, James and John and Andrew, who happened, mm-hmm. who turned out to be three of the other disciples. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and they uh, worked along the Sea of Galilee fishing. Um, and uh, Peter was married. And just about all the disciples were married um, and had families. And mm-hmm. um, it. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. Um, mm, so they, that's they were known, 
they were no like a rock themselves. band. <laughs> that was what they were colorful too. But that'd be great. Yes, and now the biblical rock band Sons of Thunder with the heavy metal hit, you know, Disciples Are Us. <laughs> it's a great potential here. Well, so focusing on on Peter out of the group. Uh-huh. And matter of fact, it was Andrew um, who first uh, heard Jesus uh, teaching. And he was so soul about Jesus and what he was saying. He just knew there was something different about Jesus. Um, and because you know, it, Jesus was not the only one who said he was the Messiah. I mean, that, you know, every once in a while there would be other people coming along saying, oh, I'm the Messiah, you know. And then people would watch them for a while and then they'd fizzle out. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, <laughs> nothing to mm-hmm. your folks. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. Move along, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then yeah. Good try. Uh, yeah. And then Jesus came on the scene and just turned the world upside down. So yeah. Andrew um, was, was listening to Jesus teach, and he, he was just stirred in his spirit. And he ran back and got uh, Peter. He says, you've got to come listen to this guy. So when Peter went to listen to Jesus, um, that's when mm-hmm. Jesus saw him. Mm. And he said, follow me. And so that's how that all started, you know, when, when Peter was, was first called to, to follow Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. um, it's keep in mind, again, that Peter is as rough cut as they come. And <clears throat> Jesus was not looking for a preacher dude, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was calling people that he saw something in um, and that God was telling him, choose that one choose that one, choose that one, because Jesus himself said, I don't do anything but what I see my father do, and I don't say anything but what I hear my father say. So God himself was instructing Jesus who who to choose as a disciple, because they had in them certain qualities that God wanted to build his kingdom on. So there is hope for all of us. If Peter can be chosen... (laughs) Well, no, actually, this makes a lot of sense. This is kind of like, uh, I'm thinking of folks like Steve Bannon, uh, some of the rougher cut people, you know, the bikers for Trump, you know, some of these people, these these wonderful patriots out there, uh, they're very similar, that uh, they have passion, they have knowledge. And this is why um, the whole idea of Action Radio, we take just regular people and say, hey, here's an opportunity to let your genius show, because so many people are discounted simply simply because they don't have the Harvard or Yale education, they don't have the credentials, they don't have the pedigree. But those people are total morons. You know, give me somebody with some guts, you know, that has an idea. I don't care who you are, where you are. I don't care if you, you know, drive a truck coast to coast. In fact, truckers are fabulous people. They have to be independent. You know, they do amazing things. Um, and so the the rough cut. This actually makes perfect sense for for uh, you know my concept of, of Jesus. You know, trying to imagine, you know, who this person was back then. A um, little different question. I was thinking about this as you're as you're talking. Uh, if you were Peter, or if you were anybody at the time, and you looked at Jesus right in the face, what would you see? Would you see just a, a regular person? Would there be something different? Would you? Would there be a, a perception difference? Would you? Would you recognize Jesus as somebody that's that's different and special? Would you get some feeling about it? What What did people see when they saw Jesus face to face in person? Well, I, that depended on the person because the Bible was full of stories about people who just you know rejected Jesus and didn't believe what he was saying because they'd heard people claim that they were Messiah before. Okay. Um, then there were the religious leaders who absolutely hated Jesus and mm-hmm. which called for his death because 
he was upsetting their little apple cart with, where they ruled the roost. And they were the be-all and end-all. They were gods in their own eyes. Mm, and yeah, this, this, is, this is like Trump said, without Trump being God. Yeah, this is quite interesting. <clears throat> same yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and okay. so same thing that people don't change. You know, <laughs> the nature, yeah, yeah. Human nature has not changed after all yeah. these centuries. Um, the establishment is establishment. And then there are those. <laughs> Yeah, and then those there are those who were, because they were truly seeking the truth in their heart, you know, mm-hmm. um, and when they heard Jesus speak with the authority of God himself, and they just, they just knew in their soul something was different. This okay. wasn't just some guy claiming to be the Messiah. There was something different. They couldn't put their finger on it. They just knew mm-hmm. something was different because they could feel it in their soul. Right. So. Those, That's what, that, that makes sense. Yeah, those, That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Peter was the first disciple called. Yeah, he wasn't the first one to listen to Jesus teach, but he was the first disciple called. So, um, and, and here he is, um, you know, a, a fisherman, um, you know, bleached out hair and, and, you know, weathered skin and tough guy, you know, um, and strong as an ox. And but very impetuous. And there are um, there are people who who think and and stop and and reason things out in their head before they act. Um, you know, such as Matthew or mm-hmm. uh, you know Luke. But no, not so with Peter. Uh, Peter, hmm. because he he acted on impulse, got in trouble a lot. But he also got blessings that nobody else got. Hmm. So let's let, let's examine a couple things. <clears throat> okay. Because Peter was actually a follower of John the Baptist before he ever met Jesus. So he had heard of the Messiah because John the Baptist, his whole his entire purpose of living was to tell people about Jesus coming, that the Messiah is coming and Jesus is coming. So uh, what's the time difference the between them? Did, did they ever meet? Did, did John the Baptist meet Jesus or, or is he before Jesus or how did, how did, oh, yeah. well, how, how's it, how's time? Oh, yeah. work? They met before birth. Um, Mary was pregnant. You know, found that she, you know, when, when she became uh, pregnant after the angel told her that she was going to carry the son of God, she went to her cousin Elizabeth mm-hmm. um, in a different town. Well, Elizabeth was already pregnant. She was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Oh, oh and, okay. And scripture records that when Mary walked into Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb because he was recognizing the presence of the Messiah. Hmm. So it, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, you know, so that, that, that tells you that you know, the spirit realm is – is very real and very active. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to be born outside the womb to, to know what's going on. So anyway, so John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. And um, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he was the forerunner. Um, and, it's quite and, a family. You know, the scripture says that he was, yes, preparing the, the, the way in the wilderness, you know, for, for Jesus to come. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so... Peter was a follower of John the Baptist, and then when, who had heard about Jesus' coming, then when Andrew said, look, you've got to come hear this guy, I just heard today, you know, and took yeah. him over there, that's when Peter recognized in his soul, wow, this is who I have been hearing about, and my soul 
tells me that this is this is the real deal. So when Jesus said, follow me, that meant leave your successful business. You know, you're you're going to have to come and follow me. Um, that was no light thing you know, for, for anybody that Jesus called. Right. But there, there, there you go. So anyway, getting back to it, I'll just give you an example of, of Peter. Um, Peter saw Jesus do a lot of miracles, and, and, and he saw how he handled things and people, and he was uh, an astute observer, if nothing else. <laughs> um, so when they were, uh, when Jesus was teaching to the multitudes, you know, in Matthew, you'll read what's called the Beatitudes, um, and he says, I, I need to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples got in the boat, and they were rowing over, and the storm came up. Um, then I'll, I, I, it's really hard for me not to get off into that other story too. So I'm going to try to stay focused. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm leaving you alone this morning on purpose. But yeah. 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 Um, stay focused. Wendy. So, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, stay focused. Stay focused. Okay. Um, Nobody's focused on the show. It's, it's just more fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because they were fishermen, and sometimes they, they fished at night as, as well. So um, mm. I, I'll tell you the story about when, uh, you know the story about when it says that you know, Peter walked on water and Jesus walked on the water? This, this uh-huh. is where the, the, the story comes from is when, you know, Jesus walked on water. Um, they were out in, in the boat and it the wind was howling and, and the waves were kind of really getting rough. And the disciples saw a figure coming across the water and they hmm. thought, oh, it, this is it's a ghost. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't make out who it was, right in the right. storm, and yeah. and um, and so Peter saw. He said, "If um, Jesus, if this is really you, <laughs> yeah, bid who me to come out on the water." Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and now yeah. you, you have all the other you know, disciples there, right? You know, the disciples are in the boat, <laughs> and Peter's the only one saying, "Hey." If that's really you, have me come out and walk on the water with you. And mm-hmm. so Jesus said, come toward Jesus on top of the water in a storm. Mm. And th- this, is, this is not a smooth glass lake, okay? This is a storm. So you always think of Jesus walking on water <laughs> and, as smooth, you know, but you, you never think that there's a storm going on. So, yeah. No, right. So he, there he is could a have surfed storm. without a board and, if he wanted to. You know, this is kind of cool. That's exactly right. Well, so here's Jesus, you know, standing on the water and, you know, asking Peter, well, yeah, come on. And so Peter kept his eyes on Jesus and, and was walking on the water, but then the waves started getting really rough and high, and he, then he started looking at the storm. He started looking at the waves, and he started to sink. And oh. he called out to, to Jesus, you know, and, and he, you know, brought Peter up out of the water. Um, yeah, people are always getting on to Peter. Yeah, well, look what he did, you know, and he, he huh. took his eyes off of Jesus and started to think. And I'm thinking, dude, out of everybody there, he's the only one who has faith enough to say, I can walk on water if Jesus calls me. He stepped That's out of the boat. Everybody and what else was he thinking? stayed in the darn boat. Right. Huh? Well, and he sank so, because he took his eyes off Jesus or what happened? That again? Yeah, yeah, because fear took over. You know, as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was fine. When he started looking at the storm around him, fear took over, and then he started to sink. 
soon as he got his eyes back on Jesus, you know, and took his hand, you know, he was fine. So really big life lesson there, folks. <laughs> Your eyes off Jesus. Keep focused on Jesus. <laughs> Uh-oh. Wait a minute. I have to get this. Yes, God. Oh, you like hearing these stories over again, even though you know the ending? Okay, cool. Uh, don't interrupt, Wendy. Not so much. Okay, sir. Yes, whatever you say. Got it. Uh, keep going, Wendy. You're doing fine. I'll just stay out of it. Thanks, God. Okay. So, uh, yeah, out of his impetuousness, said, call me, I'll come. Right? Oh. And then yeah. reality, you know, hit when he was out on the water, so and the storms were getting worse. But that's okay. So huh. that tells us that even um, if we mess up, even if we take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment, you know, all you have to do is get your eyes back on Jesus again, and you'll be fine. Hmm. So just that makes sense. your eyes on Jesus. So another story about Peter to kind mm-hmm. of show you his humanness. Um, when uh, Judas was betraying Jesus in the garden, hmm. um, you know, sold Jesus for, you know, uh, gave him up for 30 pieces of silver. Well, the, the, when Jesus left to go out into the garden, because he knew his was at hand, he was mm-hmm. about to be taken uh, to be crucified. So the disciples followed him out into the garden, and here comes Judas with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees um, and the guards. And he came up and he kissed Jesus on the cheek. Um, that's how they they greeted friends mm-hmm. back in the day. And um, and because he had told the guards in the Sanhedrin that the one I kiss on the cheek is, is Jesus and that's who you need to take. So he came up, gave Jesus the, the kiss of greeting, and then he was taken by the guards. Well, Peter, they, you know, he, he had a sword. You know, he carried a sword with him. Right. And the guard that came up to take Jesus, he took the sword and whacked his ear off. And he says, you ain't taking him. (laughs) So, and Jesus had had to rebuke him, you know, and uh, because he knew this had to happen. He could not take on the sins of the world and, and redeem mankind if he was not taken and crucified. So he had a whole different perspective than, than Peter did. Peter was, was defending his friend and his savior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't out of a bad motive Peter did that. He was trying to save Jesus. But that wasn't what Jesus was there for. Jesus knew what, what his purpose was in that hour. So Jesus told Peter to back off and picked up the ear and the guard's name was Amalcus, and he mm-hmm. put Amalcus's ear back on and healed him right then and there on the spot wow. in front of everyone. Now, would you go ahead with the arrest <laughs> of Jesus if he had just healed you? <laughs> put your ear back on after this mm-hmm. wiped off of the sword? Well, of course, I wouldn't have done the arrest in the first you place, know? but uh, that, that's me, yeah. So what happened? Yeah. So... Um, they went ahead and took Jesus off um, for the, the fake kangaroo court uh, right. hearing to condemn him to death. And, um, and the, then the crucifixion and the resurrection. But the point of, of the story is to show Peter 
um, his heart. His heart was to protect Jesus. He did it in the wrong way and at the wrong time. <laughs> but but his heart was in the right place. Well, this is interesting oh, because there's, um, a, there's, a, there's a passage in the Bible or, or a saying or a statement or something about, you know, carrying a sword is a good thing. That, that self-defense, people think that, uh, you know, turn the other cheek, you do an infinite amount of times. And obviously God didn't condemn Peter for trying to save Jesus, uh, but it just wasn't part of the plan. And so where, where is that sword passage? You know what right. I'm talking about? Where it says, you know, carry a sword. It's sort of like, uh, you know, Harry Truman speaks softly and carry a big stick. But in this case, it's, you know. Where, where does that come from? Okay. Well, there's every man was expected to learn, to know how how to fight, you right. know, um, because you could be called up to to be to join the army um, at any time. Hmm. And so it it you there were those who were actually that that was their lot in life to be a, and then mm-hmm. there were those who were called in times of need, like if the, if they were being attacked or whatever. Everyone was right. expected. To know how to fight in Israel to this day, anyone, male and female, 18 and over, must serve two years. Period. Mm-hmm. Must you have to know how to fight? You know how to, how to have to defend Israel. It's actually not a bad idea. So as much as people say, well, that's involuntary servitude or something like that. Say, you know what? During that time, uh, they can actually sort of make up for what the, the government schools don't do. Uh, and teach patriotism, our founding documents, and, and all the other things during that time of national service. So I don't think it's a bad idea. I think right. it's me some good, you know. So yeah, I don't have a problem with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, and 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 mm-hmm. Peter, you know, being a fisherman, would have had at least one knife, you know. <laughs> yeah. If not a sword, at least a knife. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, it's, it's just important to learn that. Um, no matter what what your personality is, whether you're quiet or you're boisterous or you're impetuous or you're a, a planner, whatever it is, God has something in you um, that He wants to be able to use for the furtherance of the kingdom. Um, and is is you don't have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. Uh, anybody who who claims that they are um, is a liar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and the but that's a great that burden. Did. Uh, but I think that's the way that the people uh, fight Christianity, saying, "Well, you know, it, you, it's, it's impossibly Christian because there's too many rules. You have to be perfect." And you know, and of course, nothing could be further from the truth. We're accepted as we are. Exactly. Uh, you just have to try your best. And, and, <laughs> you know, it's a little different. Well, the ultimate story between Jesus and Peter mm-hmm. is when it came for Jesus to be crucified. It said that they all the the disciples scattered because you know they were afraid that okay well if they took Jesus they'll take the rest of us too mm-hmm. so they didn't stay together they scattered well Peter was hanging around the campfires um, that night you know because he wanted to keep an eye on Jesus and see what they were going to do to him and he told Jesus told Peter um, and he says. Um, they were having this conversation, and Peter was telling Jesus, I, I will never deny you. I, I, I'm not leaving you, and everybody else may leave, but I, I'm hanging with you, Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, truly I tell you that before this night is over, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And he says, oh, no, not me. Well, 
as he's hanging around the campfire, one of the servant girls says, I, I recognize you. You were with Jesus. And Peter said, no, I wasn't. Oh, wow. Denial. Why would he do that? And she, and, well, because he didn't want you know, to be taken off to be killed. He wanted to see what was going to go on with Jesus. Right. So he denied Jesus, denied knowing him. And then she said, no, you talk like a Galilean. You know, in other words, your accent gives you away. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I you I know I know that you were a follower of Jesus. And he used an expletive in denying mm-hmm. that he knew Jesus <laughs> at that point. <laughs> wow. That's the second denial. Um, and then uh, a little bit later in the evening, uh, someone else said, "You were with Jesus. I saw you with Jesus." And he denied him a third time. And as soon as he did, the rooster crowed. Mm. And it came back to Peter, oh, my God. And he ran off, and it said that he wept bitterly Hmm. because it broke his heart that he, out of all people who swore he would stay till the end, had denied Jesus three times. Wow. And... He wept. He was a broken man. And after Jesus resurrected, he came because, you know, Peter went back to fishing. He didn't know what else to do after he saw Jesus die. Mm -hmm. And he went back to fishing and was broken because not only was his Savior and Messiah and dear friend gone, but knowing mm-hmm. that he had denied him in his last hours. And so he was, was that out of self preservation? Was that out of uh, because he would have been killed too? I mean, who was the servant girl? I mean, was yeah, she a spy he, or something like that? Or I mean, why, why was she even there talking to him? The whole town was, was out there waiting to see what was going to happen. Okay. It, it wasn't just a servant girl. I mean, she was just one of the, the crowds waiting to see what was going on. Huh. Um, because this was a, a big deal, because Jesus had caused such a stir, you know? Right. So everybody was out waiting to see it. So anyway, when Jesus resurrected, the first thing he did is he was seen walking along the Sea of Galilee. But they, because his body was transformed, you know, um, mm-hmm. they didn't recognize him. Hmm. And he, 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 what did Jesus do? He sat down and made a fire out of coal and got the fire ready. And he had some fish that he was cooking for breakfast. They ate fish for breakfast. Um, they ate fish I eat fish for breakfast. Time, but <laughs> fish <laughs> is good. Go. Yeah. Um, Except on Fridays because so, I'm not Catholic. But that's another story. Yeah. Called, the, 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 they were close to shore. And they were, you know, Peter, James, and John. And Andrew were on the boat. And Jesus called the men to, to the shore, was waving the men to the shore. Mm-hmm. And when they got shore, they realized it was Jesus. And they were oh, like wow. ecstatic, of course, ecstatic. Yeah. But Peter was ashamed. He, he didn't know how to face Jesus after what he'd done. And Jesus took him aside, and he said, Peter, 
do you love me? Peter loved him. And he said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. And then again he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And that pierced Peter's heart because he had just told him that he loved him. But he said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. And then the third time he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And that broke Peter. And he said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then go and feed my sheep. So for the three times that Peter denied Jesus. Oh, okay. I get it. Jesus restored him Hmm. and gave him his purpose at the same moment. You are going to go and feed my sheep. You are going to be the person that builds the church. Peter, his name meant rock. It was Cephas in Greek and Simon in Aramaic. Hmm. So it's that the name means rock. He says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So only was he restored for the three times that he denied Jesus, but he was saying, I know you love me, Peter. Yeah, you screwed up, but you love me. And I know that when I ask you to build my church and to feed my sheep, and, and to, to feed my people that you're going to do it because he still recognized the passion in his heart, in Peter's heart. And he yeah, could use that. Interesting. This is, this is absolutely fascinating. Wendy. This is an amazing show. Uh, what's so fascinating is that um, the, it wouldn't have changed uh, the, uh, what happened to Jesus because he was already going to be condemned. It was already going to be a kangaroo court. So Peter's denial did not affect Jesus, but it affected Peter. It, Correct. It was, is is the true meaning of this is like so you know to your own self be true and i know that comes from somewhere in the bible but uh and he wasn't it deeply affected peter yeah yeah but he came back and from it peter never and... ever denied him again peter yeah. stayed true matter of fact um all huh. disciples but one were martyred and peter even though it's not recorded in scripture um, that he actually said that with his mouth, but it's recorded in, in some history books, that mm-hmm. Peter said, I, I, I'm not, you can't crucify me as you crucified Jesus. I, you hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard that part. You know, Marco's listening in the Netherlands, and he says, he says I'm not even religious, but I know this story because uh, he says he has Catholic parents. Yeah. So, yeah, which raises a really interesting point that I don't know how much time you have left, but for folks that, that, uh, you know, like say they're not religious, um, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing is, is how do you be, how do you be religious in this world? You know, is there just a, we should well, talk about that. Be yeah, fascinating thing. I'll get Marco's view. Go ahead. Well, and you know me, because I say, praise God, you're not religious. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, well, that's true, yeah. I was, I was just thinking about that as you were saying. It's like, yeah. So, Marco, yeah, well, maybe you can explain to Marco and all the folks that are, are European contingent that's growing really rapidly. Uh, England is our, our second largest audience now, uh, or the UK, which is quite fascinating. So, uh, we're getting a lot of growth there, more so than the United States. Um, so, so, something's happening over in Europe uh, and Australia and Canada with this show. It's quite interesting. Yeah. But Europe welcome, has a. Has welcome, Marco. Thank you. What's that now? 
I said, welcome to Marco. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he's opening the door to Europe. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. It's, it's actually, That's Netherlands awesome. is, is, our, is our fourth largest uh, audience now, which is interesting because it's not that yeah. big a place. Um, but Europe yep. has said, we should talk about Europe. Well, what I want to do is, is when we, we get through the disciples, so I'm thinking that the origins of the Christian church, I don't think people really know how we got from, uh, from Jesus to, you know, the, you know, the, the Catholic church, the, the Eastern Orthodox church, uh, the Protestant church. I mean, this is the whole Christian church. How did it come about after Jesus? Uh, that would be a fascinating story for us to go through as well. But you look at Europe. I mean, Europe's got churches that are, what, 1,000, 1,500 years old in some cases. There's some really yeah. old churches over there. So there's a, there's a strong you know, Christian tradition um, in Europe, and that would be something interesting to go uh, through as well, as, or we can trace Christianity around the world too. It's quite fascinating. And people are, are still willing to yeah. die rather than deny Jesus. You look at the, the, the ISIS folks that were beheaded, or ISIS who beheaded Christians simply for saying, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to accept Allah. You know, that's who I am. That's right. And we're, and we're willing to die for that. Uh, that's conviction. Yes. Yes, it is. That, that's when you know Jesus and he yeah. knows you. Mm-hmm. Well, hmm. on that note, <laughs> I know you have. Yeah, no, there's nowhere to go from here. On, yeah, this is, this is perfect. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just sitting here going, wow, yeah. I didn't know all that. That's really cool. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, there's, there's so much depth to this, too, that, like I said, once you get away from religion, it's amazing what you can learn about God. Exactly. (laughs) Well, if anybody has any questions or would like to put their comments or input, I'm always open to everybody's point of view. Just um, you can contact me on Facebook at uh, Wendy Arthur or Art by Wendy Arthur or on Dimensions Ministries page. So um, feel free to do that. And in the meantime, have a blessed day, create a wonderful day, and bow now, avoid the rush. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Wendy. Talk to you next week. (laughs) Okay, bye. All right, bye now. 8, 10 a.m. here, Eastern, uh, excuse me, Central Standard Time. And so, uh, actually, Central Daylight Savings Time. There we go. So, 8, 10 Central Time. I'll just say Central Time. Uh, I'm trying to sound official here. That was amazing. I'm still, I'm going to have to think about that for a whole lot and, and read about it. And this is, um, this is why I asked Wendy to do this, uh, to go over the disciples. And so, it, it brings a depth and an understanding that I didn't have, you know, not being, um, you know, raised in a, uh, in a really Christian family. I mean, it was interesting. I was sent to Sunday school at a young age, uh, but that only lasted so long. And of course, I got thrown out for asking questions, just like I got thrown out of Bible class in Australia for asking questions. Apparently, I asked a lot of questions when I was younger, and, and nothing's really changed. Um, so it'll be interesting, uh, especially with you know, Mark in the Netherlands, to sort of go over the different countries, the traditions of Christianity throughout Europe. Uh, we'll get through the Crusades. We've got a lot of history to do. So historic Christianity, uh, as well as uh, scriptural. Christianity. It's going to be very interesting for us to explore. So, like I said, we get years worth. When is going to be with us? We, we years worth of material we need to cover, uh, and it's going to be quite fascinating. And hopefully, she'll always stay ahead of where uh, where we are. Okay, so let's make it eight eleven now, and I take a bit of a break, and I'll come back here. And we're going to talk about small towns, road congestion, and how you can totally commit, you know, um, townwide suicide by increasing your freeway lanes and and just messing up everything. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. 
Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.
Wrestling Cool. Okay, we're back. <laughs> um, did myself rearranged to get my articles, all that kind of stuff together here. Um, just talking to Shelby um, Frenette, who's going to be coming back for a, a show in a little bit. Uh, for just catch us up on travel. She used to do a cruise and travel report uh, every Tuesday. That's where Brianna Cannon is now. But uh, she'll be back, I think, uh, a week Wednesday. And so we'll have a great chance to catch up on what's going on with the cruise, uh, cruise, <laughs> cruise and travel biz. And that should be interesting. All right. So Milton, ever since I've been here, um, has had a, a controversy um, over the, this idea that the, the FDOT, the Florida Department of Transportation, wants to take what they call Highway 90, what we call Caroline Street, uh, and take it from a beautiful, nice little two-lane you know, road through our, our, our gorgeous historic district um, and make it a four-lane expressway <laughs> you know, so people can get through Milton faster. And so uh, I thought, well, this is, this is nuts. This is crazy. Uh, you don't do that. You know, if you want to save a place, you don't make people go through it faster. You actually slow down traffic and have people stop there. You know, and this is why I was at a bumper sticker idea, you know, Milton, drive to, not through. And so, uh, but, the, but there's, a, there's a contingent that wants to get through Milton as quickly as possible because they don't live here. They're on either side, <laughs> you know, and they want to go through. And this is what we have I-10 for, I being interstate. Um, and so, you know, it's called the Autobahn in Germany, and I don't, I don't know what they call their freeways or highways in other places, um, but uh, I stands for Interstate Highway, and we have Interstate Highway 10 that is six lanes, and it's a freeway. In other words, no traffic lights. <laughs> you, can go, you can go 70 miles an hour, you know, and it only takes a, a few minutes to get to and a few minutes to get back, so you can go around Milton when it's crowded very easily. In fact, I've done it several times. But uh, people being selfish um, insist that uh, they can uh, destroy the town, they can make it impossible to walk around. They can build a four-lane you know, expressway through it so that their selfish little interest can be uh, satisfied with getting through it faster during a, a, you know, one time per day in the afternoon for about five minutes when it actually is crowded. And it is crowded. I mean, I you know, there's ways to deal with it, but uh, that's, um, that's, that's, a, that's an issue, but it's nowhere near as crowded as, as major cities. So for anybody that's lived in Atlanta or San Francisco or Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or, or any, any big city that has traffic, uh, the traffic around here is ludicrously small. And so, but it's still, people want to save that 10 minutes and they're willing to destroy Milton to, uh, to get there, their, their 10 minute savings time rather than just simply go or 15 minutes or 20 minutes or sometimes longer. But, you know, they could, uh, for, for a few minutes extra, they could drive down to a major interstate highway uh, and then come back through it around the town. And it all centers around a bridge uh, that goes over into Milton. And unfortunately, there's a traffic light at the end of that bridge. So one of my proposals was there's, there's three streets um, between the river, you know, where if you'll cross over this two-lane bridge, uh, and where you get a bunch of other streets uh, that, that feed off the Main Street Caroline. And so in order to facilitate, facilitate traffic during the most crowded times, simply leave those lights green. And people could use the side streets. They could turn on and off. They could get on and off Caroline Street. Uh, they could do it very easily. Um, one of the streets, though, should actually uh, end in a cul-de-sac. Um, that's a street that's called Willing Street, which descends into Caroline and causes all kinds of problems with right turns, left turns, and a bunch of other stuff that shouldn't happen. That should be a cul-de-sac. That should be cut off from Caroline Street completely. And if you do that, that ends all that congestion right there because people don't go down that street. If they want to get onto to Caroline or Tulane Road, um, they will uh, simply just you know, enter it another way. And there's plenty of other ways to do it. There's plenty of side streets. And people say, well, the side streets will get crowded. Well, well the side streets are supposed to take traffic. We don't build roads so that they won't be used. <laughs> we, build, we build side streets so they'll be used instead of the main street being used all the time by everybody. You know, and there's, there's slow enough lanes and people go slowly enough and the, the roads are old and that's okay. Um, 
But again, these people, they think that the, their lives will be easier uh, with this big expressway. And the ultimate irony of this, and this is the part where it really that whole argument falls apart, the ultimate irony is that the more traffic lanes you have, uh, exponentially more traffic is attracted there because people think they go faster. But in actual fact, so much more traffic comes to the four lane uh, over the two lane uh, because they know the two lane is going to be fairly slow, that they actually end up attracting more traffic and it actually slows down below what the two lane speed was. So that's the irony. So not only would you, would you defeat the purpose of what you're trying to do, which is move faster, uh, you would actually destroy the town in the process. So we can save the town, have people still drive through it, uh, provide all kinds of alternatives. And there are alternatives. People are proposing different um, bridges and access and things like that. I would just keep the, the, the traffic lights green for 45 minutes, and that would stop it right there. Or just have people wise up and go around. They can do that right now. So there's no reason to destroy Milton with this big plan. Uh, it's just stupid uh, and it's dangerous. And we have such amazing things here. And I'm sure your town does too. If you have a small historic area, and I mean, many, many cities have a, have a historic area. That's where people go. Why? Because it's walkable. It's easy to get to. There's this parking or there should be. Uh, and uh, it's really a lot of fun. Do people go to New Orleans so they can uh, tour the office buildings, the sky, right? The, the, the skyscrapers, the, you know, the big, no, they go to the French quarter because it's old, historic and walkable. You know, when people go to San Francisco, do they, uh, do they walk around the downtown financial district with the big office buildings? No, they go to Chinatown. They go to North beach. <laughs> you know, they go to the neighborhood. They go to Fisherman's Wharf, none of which have uh, expressways. In fact, Fisherman's Wharf actually had, um, a four-lane road, which they broke down to a two-lane road, and the businesses all got more business because everybody walked. They actually increased the business by cutting down the lanes. And so what Milton needs to do is to ban trucks, except those making a specific delivery, to put speed bumps in, reduce the speed to about five miles an hour, and if anybody uh, doesn't like that, uh, go around. <laughs> you know, you can do that. We, we don't want the people who just want to drive through Milton. We want the people who want to actually stop and shop and go to restaurants. And in that respect, uh, there is one thing, there is one, there's something that we're definitely failing on. And that is more shops and restaurants. We need a ton more businesses. Now, a new uh, Greek bakery just opened up. Um, the owner's a friend of mine. Um, we've got another ice cream shop, which hopefully will be there soon. We've got this entire old courthouse that could be turned into the courthouse market, modeled on uh, Seattle's Pike Place or San Francisco's Ferry Building or Boston Market in Boston. Or the uh, actually we're really close would be the San Antonio Riverwalk because we actually have a river, a real river, not a manufactured one like they have. I don't know what that is, but we actually have a real river, and we have a riverwalk, and we could actually have uh, all kinds of river facilities. We have the free concerts. You know, we've got all the stuff we need. We've got, we've got restaurants. We've got brew pubs. We've got different businesses. We just need a lot more of them. And, the, and as, as uh, Charles Marin of Strongtown said, the more businesses you have, the more vibrant the community, the less chance the state is going to uh, come through and destroy it with a four-lane uh, expressway to hell. That's my term, expressway to hell, or the suicidal expressway or the highway bandits, whatever you want to call them. It's stupid. There's no reason for it because uh, the alternatives are already there, uh, even if they don't build anything new. Uh, and now, there are, now the reason I'm doing this today is because there are meetings tomorrow. There are meetings tomorrow in Milton that will be covering this. And again, you may have meetings in your town. And this could be anywhere in the world you might have meetings, you know, that cover what's going to happen to your town. And the greatest place people have effect is at the local level. So I post the articles on the, the City of Milton Facebook page that I'm using today. I, I put my old uh, interview with Charles Marin everywhere. Because uh, I, don't, I don't like meetings. <laughs> but I, I don't have time to go to the morning meeting. Uh, because I'll be on the air in the evening meeting, I'll be preparing Friday show. So I don't, have, I don't have time to go to meetings. So what I do is I talk about it here and I post them everywhere. So it's easy for the city of Milton to know exactly what I think if they don't already uh, and everybody else to know what I think. And if, if they don't already, 
So let's get into traffic. Let's start, we've never we've done this occasionally, but not that often. So I got uh, one, two, three, four. Do I have five articles? Five articles here. We'll see how much we get through this hour. But I want to talk about traffic. And so uh, I'll be checking on live chat. So Marco, if you want to uh, uh, do something there. Last time we had a couple of other people. We actually had three people on yesterday on live chat. So live chat's open. Just uh, type away a message. Uh, Skype line's open too. You just have to call you know, the, a day ahead of time. I have to approve your account. And I don't check it a whole lot. I mean, I check it every few days, but, you know, because we don't get a lot of international callers. Yeah, we will. I mean, that, that's coming. It's just a question of when. Uh, but a lot of people who listen internationally listen at a time where they have to listen to the podcast. And so I know that makes a big difference. Western Europe, you guys can listen. It's only afternoon there. You know, we need to, I'm looking for a, um, a British reporter and uh, someone on the continent, a Western European reporter. So I need one of each. So hopefully Marco will introduce me to Eva van Dingerbuk. <laughs> The most gorgeous woman on the planet today. Uh, and also, uh, I think I want to talk about her, her, you know, her legal philosophy, and some of the other stuff that uh, she has for qualifications. And, of course, we want to get into the, the Dutch farms and why they're trying to destroy the food supply. Something interesting came to light, too. I was reading an article, which I'll, I'll see if I can get to in the, second, in the third hour, um, that this whole idea of uh, artificial meat is really to destroy farms. Because if, if all our food can be processed and grown artificially, including meat, we don't need farms. We don't need ranches. We don't need real cows, you know. And it actually turns out to be far, more, far worse for the environment. But that's not the point. The point is to destroy farms, destroy our food supply, have everything be genetically controlled, and have us all die at a certain time, like, I don't know, 40. <laughs> so we're replaced by younger people. And uh, the globalists will live to ripe old ages, and they'll be happy because we'll have nothing. Uh, I'm here, I guess here, we're going to defeat them. We are. All right. So first article on traffic. Uh, streets blog. No, is that the one? No, that's not what I want to do. That's the wrong article. All right, here we go. Strong. So Strong Towns is the organization that Charles Marin represents. He started it. Now, he was on in 2019 with a fabulous interview. You can find it by going to the top of our broadcast page in that little window in the Put Action Radio, comma, Charles Marin. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S, Charles Marin, M-A-H-R-O-N. And so put Charles Marin in there, and you'll get the interview from July 30th of 2019. He's in the second hour. We only, had, we only did two hours in those days. So it was pre-COVID. Uh, we had no idea it was coming in July, right? Um, but it's interesting that uh, he spells it out. So, so here's what his organization talks about. I'm just going to give you the articles. First one here, Andrew Price, October 4th, 2018, wrote The Causes of Traffic and Congestion. He says, there are many misconceptions in my local conversation about what does or does not induce motor traffic. Most of these misconceptions are, one, single-family homes do not increase traffic. If we all build, if we build our single-family homes, this will forever stay a quiet neighborhood. First misconception. Second one. Commercial development does not increase traffic because it does not add more residents. And the third misconception, congestion is bad, and we should treat uh, avoiding it as a priority. And then he says, let's dive into it. Traffic, what causes it, and what we can do about it. First heading, the role of the street network. He says the largest contributor to congestion is the hierarchical road network. This is where you have local streets feed into collectors that feed into arterials that feed into highways. And so we build a four-lane uh, expressway through here. Well, it'll still have traffic lights, so, so it'll be a four-lane freeway. Well, I think expressway is probably better, whatever the term is, four-lane you know, highway. Um, it's going to slow down because all these roads are going to feed into it, which I already do. Anyway, he says the Strong Towns article on dealing with congestion, I've got that you know, as a future article here, explains why this is bad. He says we are funneling all traffic through a small number of streets, giving us a lower vehicle capacity as well as fewer redundancies for when things go wrong. 
creating a fragile road network where one clog can grind traffic to a halt. Those of us who live in the, used to live in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, know that when one bridge goes down, it affects the entire Bay Area traffic, and it has nine bridges over the various parts of San Francisco Bay and the different bays around San Francisco, nine bridges. And they're all choke points, every one of them. Every one of them, when there's a problem, you know, causes traffic on the other bridges to increase, and it just makes a mess. Bay Area traffic's a mess. That's why I'm glad I'm here. He says, he says uh, let me start at the beginning of the sentence here. We are funneling all traffic through a small number of streets, giving us a lower vehicle capacity, as well as fewer redundancies for when things go wrong, creating a fragile road network where one clog can grind traffic to a halt, and artificially spacing things out by reducing what you can reach in a given distance. Sometimes stupidly so, as in the case where two houses share a backyard despite their front doors being seven miles apart. That's kind of a weird example. Anyway, he says a highly connected street network, this can mean a grid, but you can also take non-geometric forms such as the street network of a medieval city. Yeah, they, you know, Boston's like that and, and goat paths. <laughs> you know, so Boston streets are all weird angles. Um, but uh, medieval cities used to be weird angles too, but it works somehow. Anyway, he says even a, a network, a, a medieval city network is better because there are a ton of redundancies. You know, in other words, a street closure does not matter if you have countless alternate routes to go from A to B. And distances are shorter and you can take a more direct route from A to B. Because the load is distributed over the many redundancies, we are no longer funneling all traffic over a small handful of, of collectors or arterials. You are, so you're going to encounter less traffic along your way, even if all else, population density, amount of travel remains equal. So in other words, the side streets are meant to be used. So all these folks that say you, you should travel on the main street, Caroline, you know, the two-lane road, and, and uh, forget all the other two-lane roads, is just ludicrous. There's nothing wrong with... Uh, with going on, on, on the side streets at all time. I, I use side streets regularly. You know, I don't speed. In fact, you actually go faster on a side street without traffic lights. Well, not a few stop signs. than you do on the, on the crowded street. It's really fascinating to watch people take the same crowded street every day at the same time, you know, and, and, and wait the same amount of time. They're stupid. I mean, don't these people read a map? Don't you just check, uh, you know, alternate routes? I mean, there's so many easy ways around downtown Milton. I mean, I do it. The only thing is you have to funnel into the bridge because that's the only way across. Uh, unless you go around using the freeway. That's the other way across. Uh, I think there's maybe a bridge way up north, but basically that's it. So I understand the traffic at the freeway. That's why I say leave the lights green. I mean, at Caroline Street, leave the lights green across the, leave, slow down, Greg. Leave the lights green across the bridge during that 45 minutes that's actually crowded in the afternoon that everybody's complaining about. So the rest of the time, the, 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 the bridge and the traffic is wide open. So people are willing to sacrifice Milton for about 45 minutes a day worth of uh, slightly more crowded traffic. That's irrational. So Marco says, do you know Jutta Lierdam? No, I don't. Or is it Jutta Lierdam? Um, I guess it's a medieval city. Let's find out. So Marco, tell me more. Marco's in the Netherlands for, for my new list. Uh, let's see what he says. Anyway. Uh, I read that, read that, read that. Here we go. Back to the article. Designated a main thoroughfare with higher speed and greater capacity. That would be the four lane through Milton, you suicidal traffic bandits. Uh, to funnel traffic through is bad, even if it's part of a street grid. This thoroughfare will attract all of the traffic until it is so congested that it no longer offers a speed advantage over alternate routes such as parallel side streets. And all people will do is complain how congested it is. Let me tell you again. So all you four-lane fans in Milton and every other city across this country, all you people who think that building more lanes will, will allow you to go faster, it only goes faster if the amount of traffic remains the same, but it never does. That's what the studies show. The traffic does not remain the same. In fact, it gets worse. 
because everybody thinks, oh, I'll be faster on the four lane, but you have so many more people coming onto the four lane instead of going on the freeway, the six lane, without the traffic lights, that you actually make it worse. So you lower the capacity on the freeway, you lower the capacity on the side streets where the traffic should be, and you increase it uh, on, the two lane, on, the, on the four lane road so that it becomes effectively worse than the two lane road. And you sacrifice the city of Milton in the process. That's irrational. So what I'm trying to do is stop Milton and the Florida Department of, of Transportation from being irrational. That's, that's what the is about today. Don't be irrational. Don't be stupid. The studies all show that what you're doing is complete folly. Marco's got a website up there. Um, I'll check it. <laughs> I'll check it during a break. I just don't have time to check it right now. He says, does it designate a main thoroughfare with higher speeds? Oh, I read that part. Okay, here it goes. He says, this holds true. We're talking about, uh, you know, um, if you increase the lanes, you actually get more congestion. He says, this holds true anytime we deal with funneling a flow, getting all cars to take the same road, asking all spectators to leave through the same state, making all travelers at the airport go through a single security line, pushing all commuters onto a single transit line, getting all permit approvals to flow through a single queue, and so on. It does not take many people for it to feel crowded when everyone is concentrated in one place. That's exactly right. You concentrate the traffic, it slows down. I don't care how many lanes you have. You concentrate it in one place, it slows down. So better to keep it uh, two lanes, keep the city, have it become a vibrant community, increase all our, our incomes and prosperity and joy of living here and recreational and you know, retail and restaurant opportunities and have people increase the, the use of the river. And uh, keep the lanes, uh, keep two lanes. That's the way to do it. He said, the next title, the, ro- the role of land use. He said, look, let's look at land use. It is true that not having anything will attract no traffic. Well, it's true. There is nobody living there and nowhere to go. So there will be no traffic. Yep. Thus, building anything will increase traffic. But the correlation between the amount of activity in place, residences, businesses, and other destinations, and the traffic it produces is not linear. The trick comes down to building complete neighborhoods. A complete neighborhood is one where you can get most of your needs within walking distance. That would be downtown Milton. Transitioning to a complete neighborhood reduces motor traffic because of, in, because of import replacement. He says import replacement. I've never heard that term. Import replacement refers to the practice of replacement or service that you used to get elsewhere with a local good or service. Yeah, this is why I've been trying to encourage all the wonderful businesses, the independent businesses that are outside the historic district to locate into the historic district. So we have more and more businesses in a more concentrated place. That way people can get more of what they want in a walkable situation. That would be a good thing. City of Milton should encourage that. They should have a a massive discount or or tax-free or something to get as many businesses as possible in the downtown historic district. That would be a smart thing to do. Back to the article. He says the word import makes me think of foreign trade. So the first thing that comes to mind when I hear uh, import replacement is replacing imported washing machines from China with domestic washing machines. However, import replacement can occur at different levels, all the way down to the neighborhood. It can refer to the replacement of non-physical goods. Uh, I'm getting a little crazy here. Let me see if we can get back more to traffic. He says, let's look at a specific example. It does not have a Mexican restaurant. Uh, its residents, if they want Mexican food, are required to travel 20 miles to the next town. But Mexican food is popular, with, so the residents make the trick. The city decides to open its own Mexican restaurant. Now, if you want Mexican food, you only have to make a mile trip instead of a 20-mile trip. So you can argue that there are more cars uh, in the city since the cars are not leaving for the next town over, but you are going to encounter less traffic for two reasons. One, 
You are only traveling two miles and not 20 miles, so you're going to spend less time in your car and dealing with traffic. And two, if your town has some form of highly connected street network, such as a street grid, which we actually have here in downtown Milton, right, or an organic mesh, it will be better it will better distribute the load of traffic than funneling everyone through a few regional connections between the cities. So here's the thing about Milton. There's a ton of side streets in Milton. Well, all those side streets have public parking. Yes, I'd like to see a parking lot across from the Amagene Theater, like a three or four deck parking center. That'd be great. Put all the cars in one place for the folks that don't know the area. But there's nothing wrong with street parking. We've got plenty of street parking, and it's all easy walking distance to downtown Milton and the river. So park on the street. I don't care. That's what it's for. He says, I love Strongtown's party analogy. Imagine that you are hosting a party outdoors at a park. Everyone who attends is required to bring more food or drink than they can consume. If someone showed up, you would say, come on in, because the more people, the more food, the better the party. This is a good party. Now imagine the opposite. You are providing the food and the drink and more people who show up. And the more people who show up, the less there is to go around or the more you are spending. You would send them away because the more people, the worse the party. This is a bad party. So a good party gets better with more people. A bad party gets worse with more people. In terms of traffic, if you keep your land use segregated, especially at car scales uh, where you're with your residents in one area and your businesses in another, the more people you add, the more traffic there will be uh, as more people travel between the two sides. This is a bad party. You do not want more people. You do not want more traffic. And this is the case right now. We have uh, all the business and retail is in Milton, and a whole bunch of people live in East Milton. Yeah, there's industry over there and things like that. Yeah, the prison. <laughs> you know, but there's a whole bunch of people traveling through Milton from East Milton to get west to Pace, where all the big stores are, a lot of businesses, and, of course, to Pensacola, you know, where the city and the, the jobs are too. So you've got people traveling through Milton because they live in one place, and their work and shopping is in another place. Well, that's, that's the problem because the land use is segregated. Then he says, on the other hand, if a city allows a mixture of uses within neighborhoods, then the more people who show up, the more likely it is that you will get that Mexican restaurant three blocks from you, as well as other amenities. That is a good party. The more, the merrier. So what we need to do and create, what we need to create in Milton is a good party. More businesses. We've got brew pubs. We've got free concerts. We've got some retail. We've got a nice hair salon. Actually, a few hair salons. We've got a bunch of restaurants near downtown Milton, but not in it. We have a bunch of places that should, you know, I'll give you some specific examples. Mama Latte is my favorite cafe. Should also have a place in downtown Milton. Uh, Mason's is a great breakfast place. Should be in downtown Milton. Scoop's Ice Cream, which used to be in downtown Milton, should come back. Uh, we had a bakery, Papa's Bakery. Uh, not bakery, a barbecue. Should be there. Milton Bakery is close enough to downtown. Everybody knows where it is. Uh, and it's on the way to, to the historic district. Um, we've got the country gym here. Even though it's a chain, yeah, that's okay. Your one's not too bad. Um, McKinley's great sandwich shop should be in downtown Milton. So if we had all these places in downtown Milton, I'll tell you, you know what we really need? There's a, there's an old place downtown that looks like, uh, like an old 1940s, you know, drugstore soda shop. So if you remember the old movies uh, or like Arnold, <laughs> you know, uh, from happy days, uh, you'd have, uh, you'd have a situation where, um, you'd have the, the soda fountain. In other words, you'd have like a, like a dairy bar where people get milkshakes, ice cream, things like that in the drugstore where they buy their aspirin and uh, other stuff. So we need an old-style soda fountain. You know, ice cream floats, uh, you know, uh, ice cream sodas. Everybody, everybody have an ice cream soda? You know, soda, water, and ice cream? You know, various syrups and treats and things like that. This would be the perfect place for that kind of a thing. So we'll see. Anyway, let's check, check with Marco. He says, well, you've got the Democrat Party. It doesn't matter who cares, who cares for the food. 
<laughs> it's still a bad party. Yeah, Democrat Party is definitely a bad party. All right, just for the fun of it, let me check Markle's website and see what he's what he's found for me here. And so I'll put this into uh, take a little break here. I'm, I'm going to go to another article. Oh, there's, there's a bunch of good articles here. So let's see what Marco has in mind. Uh, this is the beauty of chat. So yeah, I'm talking to someone in the Netherlands who's sending me websites while I'm doing my live show. <laughs> Isn't technology wonderful? One day he's going to send me a porn site. I'm just going to laugh at him. What is all this? <laughs> women. <laughs> he's me, he sent me a, a website full of women. That's really nice. Thanks, Marco. Not exactly what I was talking about this time, but uh, thanks for the – I appreciate the pictures. <laughs> Maybe I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll save that uh, – I'll save this website for another time. All right. But uh, I'll have to ask him why he sent me that. Marco, you know, you see, this is what happens. Great people on the show. All right. I'm going to post that on my site and look at it later. Looks like they're all skiing. They're like snow bunnies. All right. Let's get back to uh, more traffic. So I think I've proven my case already, but just to reinforce it. Um, yeah, let's do that there. Okay, here we go. All right. Back to the show. Uh, cause of traffic and congestion. Let's do a different article. Uh, it, oh, here we go. I should make this last point here. Two years ago, I made a zoning and traffic simulator where I, where I measured the effect of traffic and land uses. My takeaway from that is, one, separating land uh, use generates congestion. Two, cities have a tendency to order themselves so that the most dense stuff is in the middle and the least dense stuff is around the outside, and this results in less congestion and shorter average commute times. Well, that's interesting. That Milton's kind of organized that way. Then it says a heuristic approach. That would be H-E-U-R, a heuristic approach. Letting the free market optimize itself through trial and error works quite well. I believe that. And can cut commute times in half and results in less congestion. If this fails and you end up with randomized land use, then you end up with slightly shorter commute times and significantly less congestion than segregating land uses anyway. So, yeah, you never want to have all the houses in one place and all the businesses in another. Mix them in. And Milton's that way, too. So you've got uh, houses all around. You've got some downtown. You've got houses. You've got more businesses. They're kind of mixed. The business along Caroline, then either side of Caroline is residences. Works out great. Uh, all right, so we got more of that. I'm going to try a different article just because I only have about 16, 17 minutes left on this one. So this article is from the website Wired, W-I-R-E-D. Uh, it's from June 17, 2014. This is a little bit older article. It says, what's up with that? Building bigger roads actually makes traffic worse. I want, I want to stick with that theme. I really want to, without getting into some of the more esoteric details of land use and civil engineering and urban planning, uh, this makes more sense to cover this completely. So it says, what's up with that? Building bigger roads actually makes traffic worse. Uh, author is, where's my author? Author, author, author. Uh, doesn't say. <laughs> it's just from the website Wired. Oh, come on, give me an author. Somebody wrote this article. Oh, Adam Mann. Here we go. Adam uh, Mann, M-A-N-N, June 17th, 2014. He says, the concept is called induced demand. I've probably heard that before, but, it's a, but it hasn't been a, I, I don't remember it. Induced demand, which is economists speak for when increasing the supply of something, like roads, makes people want that thing even more. Induced demand. You build more roads, people are going to want to use them. He says, though some traffic engineers make note of this phenomenon at least as early as the 1960s, it is only in recent years that social scientists have collected enough data to show how this happens pretty much every time we build new roads. So hear that, Milton? Don't build new roads. And I sent them all these articles, by the way. All the ones I'm talking about here, I, I uh, post on the City of Milton Facebook page. So they have the same information I do. Let's see what happens. He says, I grew up, this is Michael, my, uh, Mark Mann, Mike Mann, Adam Mann, Adam Mann, Adam Mann. So I guess the joke is, you're the man, <laughs> which he really is. 
He says, I grew up in Los Angeles, the city by the freeway by the sea. And if there's one thing I've known ever since I could sit up in my, in my car seat is that you should expect to run into traffic at any point of the day. Yes, commute hours are the worst, but I've run into dead stop bumper-to-bumper cars on the 405 at 2 a.m. So that's, that's how they talk about freeways in Los Angeles. It's not interstate or I-10. It's the. <laughs> and then it gives the number, the 405. So it's the, the, the 208, the 405, whatever the highway number is. That's what they say, the 405. He says, as a kid, I used to ask my parents why they couldn't just build more lanes on the freeway. Maybe transform them all into double-decker highways with cars zooming on the upper and lower levels. Except, as it turns out, that wouldn't work. Let me say that again. That wouldn't work. Because if there's anything that traffic engineers have discovered in the last few decades, it's that if you can't build your way out of is that you can't build your way out of congestion. Let me read that properly. If there's one thing, if there's anything that traffic engineers have discovered in the last few decades, it's that you can't build your way out of congestion. It's the roads themselves that cause traffic. Let me say that again. It's the roads themselves that cause traffic. The constant demand. Oh, I just read about that in the previous article. <laughs> I think, oh, that, oh, you know, oh, you know, that was the summary. That was the summary before up top. And so we're, we're getting, uh, we're getting it now. Same way. Let me just move some things around my website. Uh, check for live chat. All right, here we go. Induced demand. This is which is oh, yeah, that, so that was so I did that article. That was his preview paragraph. Then he says, uh, every time you build new roads, you know, you get more congestion. He says, these findings imply that the ways we traditionally go about trying to mitigate jams, in other words, building more lanes, are essentially fruitless, and that we'll all be spending a lot less time in traffic if we could just be a little more rational. That's what I'm asking the city of Milton to do. Be more rational. Don't build more lanes. Provide alternatives. Improve the side streets. Encourage people to use I-10. Leave the lights green on, on Caroline Street for 45 minutes in the afternoon when it's crowded. You can do all these things. Take, that, cul- take uh, that Willing Street, which dumps into Caroline Street from north, and make it a cul-de-sac. Make it a turnaround. Don't allow access onto Willing Street. People will find other ways. They'll use all the side streets. They'll use the multiple side streets rather than jamming that one main street. That would be a smart thing to do. Article says, but before we get to solutions, we have to take a closer look at the problem. In 2009, two economists, Matthew Turner of the University of Toronto, huh, they have a 12-lane freeway in Toronto. I know. I remember it growing up. And uh, Gilles or Gil Drenton at the University of Pennsylvania decided to compare the amount of new roads and highways built in the different U.S. cities between 1980 and 2000 and the total number of miles driven in those cities over the same period. He says, we found that there's a perfect one-to-one relationship, said Turner. Found that there is a perfect one-to-one relationship. He says, if a city had increased its road capacity by 10% between 1980 and 1990, then the amount of driving in, in any city went up by 10%. If the amount of roads in the same city went up by 11%, the total number of miles went up by 11%. It's like the two figures were moving in perfect lockstep, changing at exactly the same rate. So the more roads you build, the more traffic you get. It's a linear progression. So you accomplish nothing but bring in more congestion. You do not get your faster lanes because you never get the same amount of traffic with twice the lanes. It just doesn't happen. He says, now correlation doesn't mean causation. Many traffic engineers in the U.S. cities happen to know exactly the right amount of roads to build to satisfy driving demand. But Turner and Duranton think that's unlikely. The modern interstate network mostly follows the plan originally conceived by the federal government in 1947. And it seems incredibly coincidental that road engineers at the same time could have successfully predicted driving demand more than half a century into the future. A more likely explanation 
Turner and Durant and argue, is what they call the fundamental law of road congestion. New roads will create new drivers, resulting in the intensity of traffic staying the same. Let me say that again. New roads will create new drivers, resulting in the intensity of traffic staying the same. In other words, you destroy Milton for nothing if you build four lanes, because four lanes takes away the walkability, takes away uh, everything. from. There's no reason to stop here. There's no reason to stop here. You just keep going through. So you destroy the town, and you, keep, and you actually increase the traffic. That's insanity. That's irrational. Knowing that's going to happen by all the studies, it would be stupid for them to do that. Milton would fight this. And if the FDOT wants to do it, they don't care. They're the state. They don't live here. We do. So people say it's already a done deal. I got news for you. It's not a done deal. It's still a two-lane road. And if I have anything to do with it, it's going to stay a two-lane road. And if Milton has anything to do with it, and all my friends and everybody else who agrees with, uh, with this idea that you leave that two-lane road the way it is, have anything to do with it, we can save our town. It's just that simple. You can save your town, too. There's no reason to expand freeway lanes. There isn't. You destroy your town. Most of the cities that have increased foot traffic, that have more business, that are doing better, get rid of road lanes. They reduce the number of road lanes. Fisherman's Wharf did. I guarantee you. I know this for a fact. I remember when Fisherman's Wharf had, you know, I think it was uh, four lanes, you know, two lanes in each direction. There was a lot of traffic. It went very slowly. And uh, it was horribly congested. When they made two lanes, traffic actually moved a lot better because people avoided it. They parked somewhere else and they walked. It was great. Article says, intuitively, I would expect the opposite, that expanding a road network works like replacing a small pipe with a bigger one, allowing the water or cars to flow better. Instead, it's like a larger pipe is drawing more water into itself. The first thing you want to hear is where all these extra drivers are coming from. I mean, are they just popping out of the asphalt as engineers lay down new roads? The answer has to do with what roads allow people to do, move around. As it turns out, we humans love moving around. And if you expand people's ability to travel, they will do it more, living farther away from where they work and therefore being forced to drive into town. Making driving easier also means that people take more trips in the car than they otherwise would. That rely on roads will swoop into cities with many, uh, with many of them, bringing trucking and shipments. The problem is that all these things together erode any extra capacity you've built into your street network, meaning traffic levels stay pretty much constant. As long as driving on the roads remains easy and cheap, people have an almost unlimited desire to use them. You might think that increasing investment in public transit could ease this mess. Well, that doesn't really apply to Milton. Many railway and bus projects are sold on this basis, with politicians promising that traffic will decrease once ridership grows. This is more for Pensacola, which has a public transit system that nobody uses. He says, but the data showed that even in cities that expanded public transit, road congestion stayed exactly the same. Add a new subway line. This is all you folks with light rail in your cities. <laughs> Don't do it. He says, add a new subway line, and some drivers will switch to transit, but new drivers will replace them. It's the same effect as adding a new lane to the highway. Congestion remains constant. That's not to say public transit doesn't do good. It also allows more people to move around. These projects just shouldn't be hyped up as traffic decongestants, says Turner and Duranton. You know, it's interesting. They have the, uh, the HOV lanes, high occupancy vehicle lanes. They tried those. Um, didn't work. <laughs> you know, they, uh, it, it was a crazy situation, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's another thing. So they, they thought, we'd, well, we take all the, the multiple car, multiple car uh, passengers um, and we'll put them in, uh, in, the high, in the high occupancy vehicle lanes. Well, there's so few of them because most people drive single places to work that all you need to four lanes of traffic and, and uh, you know, this is probably against my own argument, put it into three lanes. Uh, but you actually took out a lane that was already there. <laughs> that's kind of stupid, too. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, but it, it didn't make traffic flow better. They said, well, this will make traffic flow better. And it didn't. 
actually slowed it down. He says, interestingly, interestingly, the effect works in reverse, too. Okay, this is what's going to be interesting. He says, whenever some city proposes taking, taking lanes away from a road, residents scream that they're going to create a huge traffic snarl. But the data shows that nothing truly terrible happens. Yeah, my Fisherman's Wharf example in San Francisco. I used to work at Fisherman's Wharf. I was a tour guide. I was there for eight years. I know exactly what happened when they, when they cut down on the, on the road lanes. We actually got through a lot faster. We did. He says the amount of traffic on the road simply readjusts and overall congestion doesn't really increase. Yeah. You know, with fewer lanes, people just take alternatives. So traffic actually got better with two lanes than it was with like six. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fascinating how that worked. And there's a lot more sidewalks. So the sidewalks expanded. There's a lot more uh, um, foot traffic. A lot more foot traffic. Businesses all did better. It was great. He says, for instance, here's the example from the article, Paris in recent decades has had a persistent policy to dramatically downsize and reduce roadways. Driving in Paris was bad before, said Duranton. It's just as bad, but it's not much worse. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so where did those other drivers go? Well, many of them switched to public transit, which in Paris has increased by 2%. Um, let me see if I can uh, skip down a little bit here and get more relevant to small towns. He says, now there's a limit to all this. Turn a 10-lane highway into a one-lane road, and you might bring cars to a standstill. Extend that, sen- that same 10-lane highway to 100 lanes, and you might never see traffic again. While Turner and Durant have claimed to uh, find a fundamental rule, it's not exactly the universal law like gravity. <laughs> Uh, he says, we can only claim that this rule uh, is a rule within a certain range of data we can observe. So, says, so what can be done with all this? How can we actually reduce traffic congestion? Turner explained that the way we use roads right now is a bit like the Soviet Union's method of distributing bread. Under the communist government, goods were given equally to all, with the central authority setting the price for each commodity. Because that price was often far less than what people were willing to pay for that good, comrades would, ru- would rush to purchase it, forming lines around the block. The U.S. government is also in the business of providing people with a good they really want, roads. And just like the old Soviets, Uncle Sam is giving this commodity away for next to nothing. It's, is the solution of them to privatize roads? Nonetheless, you're living in some libertarian fantasy land. <laughs> is it what Turner and Durant and, Durant and many others would, would like to see is a more rational transportation policy actually advocate uh, is known as congestion pricing. Okay, that means pricing. All right, well, so I'm gonna, that's getting away from the basic uh, thing. You can talk about that. Uh, here we go. Let's show. There's a couple more I want to get to. Here's one. I got two more. Let's see if I can do that. Well, I might. I might go over a little bit in the next hour, but it's my show, <laughs> so I can do that. Check with Marco real quick. Uh, okay. Yep. No comments yet. Uh, so all is well. Just moving stuff around my computer. Streets blog Cal. So this would be California. Uh, Key Wilson, May 13th, 2022. So this one's more recent. Three reasons why congestion decreases when cities delete road lanes. So that's not the a situation in Milton. All we want to do is keep the, ro- the road lanes the same and have people adjust to them um, and use other ways to go around. Don't just complain about it and try and destroy my town with, with four lanes when two lanes are perfectly fine. Except for that, you know, a little 45 minutes in the afternoon, and then we can, we can fix that with it, keeping the lights green for a while. Anyway, so the article author is Key Wilson, K-E-A, Wilson. May 13th, 2022. The website is Streets Blog Cal, as in C-A-L. A wildly inaccurate comment from Elon Musk about the traffic impacts of deleting lanes for drivers is prompting a conversation about the little-known phenomenon of reduced demand. So we, we, we put increased demand. Uh, before now, we're going to talk about reduced demand. He says, and how advocates can better debunk common congestion myths that powerful but often ill-informed people continue to promulgate. He says, in a much-tweeted uh, about 
in a much tweeted about comment at the Financial Times Future of the Car conference on Tuesday, the Tesla and, and Boring Company founder, <laughs> the Tesla and Boring Company founder, dismissed the phenomenon of, quote, induced demand. That's what we talked about before, induced demand. Induced, now we're going to talk about reduced demand. But induced, I-N-D-U-C-E-D, as opposed to reduced, R-E-D-U-C-E-D. Induced demand is one of the single dumbest notions I've ever heard in my entire life, despite more than a century of research that confirms that increasing lane capacity for drivers only temporarily relieves gridlock before beefed-up roads attract new motorists and development, uh, miring even more travelers in traffic jams along the new and improved corridors. So Elon Musk, smartest man in the world, apparently, totally dismisses something that all the traffic engineers have known for 100 years. All right. He says induced demand is one of the single dumbest notions I've ever heard of in my life. Well, so much for you, Elon Musk. He's the one backing Ron DeSantis, by the way, if you were listening earlier on the show. All right. So the truth is he's wrong. Induced demand, as it says, and this very clearly spills it out. And this is for Milton to listen to very carefully. City of Milton and all my friends and all those that want to, uh, you know, get through Milton faster. It's very simple. He says more than a century of research that confirms that increasing lane capacity for drivers only temporarily relieves gridlock before beefed-up roads attract new motorists and development, miring even more travelers in traffic jams along the new and, quote, improved corridors. He says, if adding roads just increases traffic, why don't they delete them and decrease traffic, Musk asked. That's a good question, right? He says, if adding roads increases traffic, why don't we delete them and decrease traffic? Musk said, and, he says, and I think you have an uproar if you did that. It boggles my mind that people wouldn't think building tunnels to curb congestion would work. It's working really well already in Vegas. Well, let's see about Vegas. So the response is, setting aside the fact that the boring company's Las Vegas tunnels are decidedly not working really well, not to mention his obvious financial incentive to sell them at a as a congestion solution, Musk's comment, it's hard to say, Musk's comments might make intuitive sense at least when it comes to the basic geometry of lane removals. After all, a sudden crash that closes a portion of a busy street can result in a traffic jam, at least for a little while. Less road space for the same amount of cars can equal more crowding, at least on a specified road at that specific time, if traffic doesn't inspire a motorist to try another way of getting around. So I would add a second phenomenon to this traffic thing. One, people think that more freeway lanes or more highway lanes will make traffic flow better. Well, that is true intuitively, uh, only in the sense that uh, only if the, the exact same amount of traffic is there, if you have the same amount of traffic on four lanes over two lanes, it'll flow faster on four lanes. But you don't have the same amount of traffic. Traffic increases to be just as crowded as the two lanes. And that's worse. And that's induced demand. So you create the demand for the road by increasing the freeway lanes. So it gets as slow or slower than it was before. That's the difference. The other thing that fascinates me is, I don't know what we call this theory. I'd call it uh, perpetual idiocy. <laughs> the perpetual idiocy, or it's like the, I'll call it road insanity. So in other words, insanity is defined as doing the same thing, uh, and, uh, doing exactly the same thing and expecting a different result. So, the, so road insanity would be traveling exactly the same way, having it be crowded every day at the same time, and expecting that you'll get through faster one day. That's insane. Look for a different way. I found so many different ways around uh, downtown Milton. The side streets are great. Once you know how to use them, I never travel on Caroline Street uh, when it's crowded because it's crowded. Why would I do that? I'm not stupid. Take alternative routes. Well, every, if everybody did that, then uh, the, the only choke point would be the bridge, and that should have the green light uh, at the bridge for the longest amount of time. That's how you do it. 
So you cut off one access to it. That'll improve traffic flow. Uh, have people come out where they can make a right turn instead of a left turn. When people can make a right turn, that's the, that's the side you want to approach it from. So people get on the south side of Caroline Street, make a right turn onto Caroline Street from any number of streets, and you can flow across the green light. Same thing with people coming off the bridge. Come off the bridge. Instead of making a right turn onto Willing Street because it's closed off, you go down uh, any number of other side streets, and that'll take you to what, is, what we know as Stewart Street or Dogwood or any of, the, any of the other streets that take you away from Caroline. The point is that there are so many alternatives that nobody uses. The side streets are empty, and that's, that's really a pity because they're perfectly valid. Yeah, do kids play on them? Great. They put speed bumps in, you know, put big markers, kids playing. That's easy, but you don't take away the street. Besides, kids are in school most of the year. You know, so you know when they're not going to be there. Slow down on the weekends. Slow down after school time um, during the weekdays. Slow down during the summer. Besides, you're all at the beach anyway around here. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get back to the article here. He says, he says, decades of research has shown, though, that lane removals often lead to less traffic over time. Let me say that again. Lane removals often lead to less traffic over time, both on the road that went on the diet and on the sometimes even adjacent corridors. This is one particularly famous 2002 study of more than 70 lane reduction projects around the world found that an unweighted average reduction in traffic on the treated road or area of 41%. So almost half the traffic disappears when you cut the road lanes. He says, and that was before some of the most impactful lane removal projects in the world, like the teardown of the Chinogi Expressway in Seoul, in Seoul, that'd be South Korea. I probably didn't pronounce that right. Chonggi. <laughs> Sorry for my pronunciation of Korean. C-H-E-O-N-G-G-Y-E. Chonggi Expressway in Seoul and or New York City's famous Miracle on 14th Street after the installation of a car-free busy uh, busway. Car-free busway. He says, so where did all the cars go? Here are three interrelated answers. And this is probably the last article I'll do on this. I, I post the other ones on, the, on my page and on the City of Milton uh, Facebook page on their article on uh, traffic. Um, and uh, the meeting's coming up tomorrow. So uh, this is what I'm doing. This in preparation for those meetings. It's all the information you need to not make a four-lane. Don't be stupid. Number one, drivers find other routes. When lay people talk about city congestion, they're usually really talking about congestion along a handful of routes that they travel most. And in American cities, that usually means the massive highways, arterials, and collector roads that most drivers are forced onto for at least part of their long-distance commutes. In a well-planned city, though, Drivers have a choice to take a route that doesn't necessarily involve sitting in traffic on the big mega thoroughfare that pretty much every other motorist takes because there's a network of parallel roads running just a block or two away. And when the mega road loses a few lanes, it discourages drivers from using it even more, encouraging motorists to, fa- to fan out across the grid of the, in the process. That's what I say. Use the side streets. That's what they're for, right? Then he's got a nice little illustration here, which I'm not going to read because it's radio. <laughs> So let me get number two. Drivers change how and when they travel. He says, of course, spreading traffic more liberally across the city grid might sound like bad news for the sleepy neighborhood side streets. Research shows, though, yeah, this, and people say, you can't, you can't drive in the side streets. You know, the, the kids are out there. It's bad. Well, let's see what the research shows, right? He says, research, re, slow down, Greg. Research shows, though, that doesn't always happen. He says, because despite what automakers like Elon Musk are incentivized to believe, the number of cars on the road are not a fixed constant that city leaders can't change. Hear that city, Milton? He says, most obviously to anyone who's ever left work a little early to beat the rush hour, rush hour uh, often motorists can and do change when they drive 
their most frequent routes. See, I've always said the flex time is the solution to traffic. You don't build more highway lanes. You don't build more roadways. You have people who go to work at different times or don't go to work at all. Stay home two, three days a week. That's how you do it. He says, and when the roads along these routes are put on a diet, they have an even bigger incentive to adjust their schedule. Other drivers might be a little more thoughtful before they hop in the SUV to drive half a mile back and forth to the grocery store if they know the road they'll drive on might be a little less comfortable and combine that trip with another errand later in the day. There's even evidence that motorists that do still choose to drive actually behave differently behind the wheel on skinnier and better controlled roads. One British study found that drivers were actually more likely to make it through shorter green lights on a new bus priority corridor because they were staying attentive and keeping their feet hovered over the gas pedals, ready to press them the moment the signal changed. Signal changed. Hmm. Put it all together, and the same 2002 study of lane reduction projects around the world found that less than half of traffic eliminated on the dieted road reappeared as, as increased traffic on the alternative roads at the same or different times of the day. Thus, average overall reduction in traffic was 25% of that which used to use the affected road or area. In other words, you reduce traffic lanes, you actually reduce traffic. And number three, the last one in this thing, which is the last one I'll cover on this subject before changing to other really bad news, <laughs> drivers pick other modes if they can't. Perhaps the single best argument against lane removal in the U.S. is that at least in communities with terrible support for transit, biking and walking, and poor network planning, some motorists may have no other real choice but to drive the same routes they always did. And that's also the single best argument for investing in other modes, something lane removals themselves can help do. San Francisco actually did that. Um, they took a lot of the lanes and made them bike lanes. And the bicycles are there by the thousands. Now, of course, the bikes should pay road tax like the cars do. That would help pay for the city. Um, but, um, but it's certainly an interesting idea. It says, in many cases, road diets are really just road transformations that convert yet another driving lane into wider sidewalks, projected cycling paths, safer bus stops, quicker bus lanes, new light rail, added green space, and more. Well, I wouldn't go with, uh, go with the added green space. That we definitely need. He says, lane removals often give communities more mobility options, uh, often without even removing much of anything for the motorists who continue to drive, uh, besides the troubling incentive to travel thoughtlessly along one specific highly congested corridor every hour of the day. So let, let's kind of curb it here because Milton's a little different example. So we don't have public, transport, public transportation here, but I don't think we need it. It's pretty small here. Uh, I don't see driving as a problem because we have so many side streets and all those strides, side streets have street parking. So there's a huge network of side streets and street parking close enough to Milton that people can walk to it. So that's not an issue. Although I do think a public parking garage would also facilitate it, especially right across from the famous, the world famous 1912 Imogene Theater, which should have national acts again. So that'd be a good thing for out of town folks. In town people, yeah, park on the side streets and walk, walk a little bit. Out-of-town folks, yeah, have a, public, have a, have a garage. Uh, but that'll, that'll increase demand when, when the show's over. Um, not so much when the show starts because people arrive at different times, but they all leave together. It's kind of funny. But that's when the restaurants come into play. So why would you leave right after a show when you've got hopefully a late-night restaurant? We've got uh, some, some bars and brew pubs in town, and there are things people can do in the evening rather than drive home immediately. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> Designated driver, folks. So public transit is really not an option in, in downtown Milton because it's a fairly small city. We only have 11,000 people, okay? But we have this beautiful historic district that a lot of other people seem to want to drive through as quickly as possible. Again, Milton, drive to, not through. And so the solution to me is leave the two lane, build up the businesses, and for that really crowded 45 minutes in the afternoon, leave the light screen on Caroline Street and have people pick alternate ways around by using the side streets. End of problem. 
no four-lane Milton suicide. That's the solution. That's it. That's all there is to it. Leave the street as it is. Change the traffic signals. End of problem. Oh, and take one road and cut it off. End of problem. That's it. I'll be uh, talking to some folks about that as well. So the time is now 9.08. We're in our last hour of the show today. And let me take a little break, play some fun things. And uh, by the way, our affiliates are growing. So um, we're getting more people using WYL, our affiliate code, uh, for the different uh, things going on here. And uh, that'll help us. Uh, the two biggest are Great Care. We have uh, people using that service as an affiliate. Uh, and Strikeforce Energy Drinks, people are using that. And both of which, part of the, uh, your discount goes to us at Action Radio. And that's what helps build our station, our show, so that we can do things like this, do the research and have the time, and hopefully prevent Milton from making a suicidal mistake. Back in a bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Yeah, I'm getting my archery uh, bow all fixed up. And one of the things they have uh, at the Stand Your Ground uh, is an archery range. They also have axe throwing. Uh, and apparently I was just uh, getting a message from uh, Jason Myers, who runs Stand Your Ground, that uh, uh, they have paintball coming. I can't wait to do paintball. I love paintball. I actually did paintball really successfully when I was training uh, for Customs and Border Protection back uh, right after 9-11. And so uh, that was my, my brief encounter with federal law enforcement because they said I was too old to do anything. And this is 20 years ago. I was jumping over six-foot walls. I was passing police physicals in my 40s. You know, and they said, oh, you're too old. Really? Well, how can I bench press as much as you know, the 28-year-old Army Ranger who was also in my class? That's a true story, by the way. Uh, and I'm not that strong. I never consider myself that strong, but uh, apparently, you know, and, uh, and here's, here's what gets even funnier, that uh, when it comes to paintball, I mean, this is hysterical, that the, uh, the Army veterans, you know, these, I guess, I don't know if they're combat or not, um, but anyway, when it came to paintball, taking on the instructor, you know, I, I don't know how much details I can give. I don't know if this is like secret training or not, but the point was I got the instructor, you know, in my 40s, you know, and got one little grazing paintball 
you know, on my leg. So in other words, a survivable injury if it was a, if it was a bullet in actual combat. But uh, I took out the perp. <laughs> you know? And it's really funny because uh, a lot of the Army guys um, got it in the face and got it in the chest. These are paintballs, right? Simulated combat. Uh, so they would literally have been taken out had those been actual bullets. Uh, and I find it fascinating. You know, and I wasn't the fastest and I wasn't the strongest. Uh, but I was, I was, you know, one of the, the ones that used the cover the best and used my head. So even in a situation where I was not the, 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 the best uh, physically, I, I, think I, you know, I think I was smarter than some of the other folks there, and I learned how to use the cover, and I faked out the instructor and got him. <laughs> he, and he had a machine gun paintball, and I had a single shot, you know, a little handgun paintball. And um, I just find that fascinating. So, uh, so even in a combat situation, your brain is your best weapon. Don't you guys remember Rambo? That's what he said. You know, I believe that uh, the the rock that uh, you know, Rambo would have said that uh, the, the brain is the, the smartest weapon that you that you have to bring to the situation. That's a really bad Sylvester Stallone. I'll work on it. Anyway, let me play this ad that I keep forgetting has a five second delay because um, I don't know how I got it in there. But anyway, let me play that. Oop, this is great. That's the wrong one. I'm sorry, wrong one. Why did I not get stopped the midway through? Let me get the right one here. Ah, here's one has the delay. Let me start that one. Okay, back in just a little bit here. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Okay, I'm back. Got the last 45 minutes of the show. I got a bunch of texts and things that I have to uh, answer later. So anybody seems to want to call me during the show. Don't you guys know I'm busy? <laughs> I got stuff to do here. Anyway, so uh, let me get uh, let me get our, our, our new theme and get you some real real doom and gloom. Now I'm going to totally depress you. Okay, but I think I'll see if I can find something uh, redeeming in this. But uh, this is the end of the world as we go. Ra- this will be like racing to the end of the world, part three.
And so I decided I changed my mind, which I tend to do very quickly. In other words, the uh, the 28 seconds of that little intro, uh, and go back to a couple of other, well, maybe a little doom and gloom. Uh, this is a, a, an article that I started from J.D. Rucker uh, back May 9th called We Cannot Stop the Societal Collapse is Coming. And I got through all the intro information, but I never quite got to the things he was really talking about that are causing the societal collapse. And so that's something I think we should talk about a little bit uh, in our continued documentation of uh, how the world is collapsing around us and how to fix it. See, the, the difference between this show and every other show is that all these other folks, these writers, these uh, talk show hosts, and all these, and these news folks, all, these, all, all they're doing is talking about the problems. Not a single one of them talks about the solutions. We're it. We're the only show, I believe, that I've, certainly the only show I've heard that actually has real solutions. We have legislation. It's already written. All people have to do is copy the links and send it in. And all you have to do is go to writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com, click on legislation, and then click down about three to all proposed laws and find our vaccine liability law, find our big tech law, uh, even our Australian Bill of Rights or our constitutional amendment to stop Congress borrowing money or our Fed bureaucrat disarmament bill or a bill that bans drug advertising or a bill that, uh, you know, it takes away the, the, the withholding of your money until you've earned your standard deduction. You know, it's money you're going to get back next year anyway. I mean, all these bills are there. All you have to do is copy the link, the bills you like, send them to your member of Congress, your senator, your, your favorite media, your favorite talk show host, and, and ask them to report on it. If it's media, and ask them to submit and pass it. If they're legislators, that includes state legislators, local city councils, uh, county commissions, school boards, all those folks. We've, we've got it all. But it's up to you. We can do everything except share the bills for you. That's the one thing we cannot do. That's up to you. So back to the article. He says, uh, back to the America's First Report. He says, they have solutions in mind. Who's they? Uh, I'm going to have to go back a little bit, give you a bit of background. Okay, he says, before I get the list of challenges, let me start there. Because I read some of this other stuff before. He says, before I get to the this is J.D. Rucker. Before I get to the list of challenges, it's important to note something for those who are not as pessimistic as I am. And, of course, that would be me. <laughs> Getting prepared by weaning ourselves from government and reducing our reliance on, quote, the system is a good thing, even if my predictions of impending doom do not come to pass. Yeah, in other words, prepping is good. <laughs> be a prepper. I'm a prepper. You're a prepper. Don't you want to be a prepper, too? <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Pepper. He says, Americans in general are far too plugged into, quote, the system, even if it's the best of times. Keep in mind that if you think, and I'm just fear-mongering, I am expressing tremendous fears, but only because I want people to make changes in their lives that will benefit them, whether the apocalypse is nigh, it's a good word, nigh, you don't hear that very often, N-I-G-H, or if we, Lord willing, can recover from all this. We can recover from all this. See, here's here's where I differ with J.D. Rucker. I said, not only can we recover from this, we know at Action Radio, we know how to recover from this. We change the laws. We write the laws that set us free. That's how we do it. Because the laws are the only thing in government that's transparent. The elections are stolen. The politicians lie. Corporations lie. The media lies. The only thing that doesn't lie is what's actually on the printed page of a law. It's the only thing left that is truly transparent. And it has to be that way because those laws are used against us, the bad ones, and the good ones we use against them. So the only thing left that's transparent is the law. So the future of our freedom is dependent on us controlling the laws, we the people. And the way we do that is by lobbying them, by sending them to legislators in the millions and saying, we want this to pass, and having more impact 
than the, than the money from big firm, the money from big tech, the money from the globalists, the money from all these people, our votes and our, our, our sending stuff to these, these legislators has to be stronger than the lobbyists against us. That's how we win. I don't know any other way to win. I just found it a fascinating coincidence that I started Action Radio at the very time in history when it's most needed. Who knew? <laughs> Thanks, God. Appreciate the help. <laughs> You're just like, nah, why now? It would have been nice to have another career before now, but it didn't quite work out that way. He says, uh, then he says, uh, here are just some of the major changes, challenges we're facing. So let's get, here's, here's the bad list. These are the problems. He's, and this is, this is the, the coming, this is, it says we cannot stop the social societal collapse that, that's coming. Uh, and he says, and this is why, these are his reasons. He says, first of all, bullet point one, the border crisis has been, bla- and has been a blazing inferno for over two years, and the fall of Title 42 will be like dropping napalm on the already massive flames. In other words, the border is wide open. That's true. Next thing he says, our current banking crisis appears to be by design. Of course it is. Same with the border. He says, the powers that be want the American financial system to be consolidated under a handful of megabanks. So even if you never wanted your money with J.P. Morgan, Chase, or Bank of America, the powers and principles, excuse me, the powers and principalities will try to force you into them. Yeah, that makes sense. He says, the food supply in America is secretly in a state of utter shambles. The effect of manufactured events over the last couple of years will be felt over the next couple of years of the last couple of years will be felt over the next couple of years as there's a delay between cause and effect uh, in such a massive system. Yeah. The food processing plants are being blown up. Uh, the killing the chickens, they're bringing in fake meat. Um, they're putting uh, food, they're putting uh, COVID vaccines in our food supply. This is food terrorism. Um, it just is. Um, I'm going to have to take a break for a second here. Hang on. Yeah, I, I got a cough or sneeze or something. <laughs> what can I play for you in the meantime? Let's see if I can discuss. I need something for about two minutes here. Do, 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 I'll be right back. patriotic moment brought to you because I need to take a break for a second and grab some water. <laughs> it happens. I've been talking a lot today, so you have to watch this kind of stuff. Marco's got some comments for me. He says, a cafe in the Netherlands was fined $5,000. They had adver- uh, advertisements showing on a screen that they had some funny memes in between. <laughs> we should send me a picture. He says, they were fined for the meme. My generation had Wonder Woman. Your generation has Wonder if it's a woman. I've seen that meme. That meme is hysterical. That's a great meme. It was funny. You know, and I've seen that. This is, you know, my gener- and that's my gener- I, I'm the generation who had Wonder Woman. We knew what women was. We knew what women still are. There's some gorgeous women out there, and they're not men. 
<laughs> I'm here to tell you there's a difference. All right. Um, without that difference, you know, human beings would have died out a long time ago. Anyway, this is one. This is your generation. That's that's I guess Marcos and younger uh, wonder if it's a woman. But let's talk transgender for a bit because that's part of the uh, of the big problem here. There's a group of people who have had cosmetic surgery uh, and elective drugs and think that qualifies them as a civil rights group. It does not. Trans is non-existent. You cannot change your sex. You cannot. Let me be as clear as possible. Let me try that one more time. You cannot change your sex. You can't do it. The only thing you can do is have cosmetic surgery and elective drugs. That does not make you a civil rights group. That makes you making a personal choice that affects you. And if you want to live your life that way, that's fine. I don't have a problem. No problem at all. Oh, <laughs> Marcus got his age here. He's, he's one generation behind me. So I guess you'd be Gen X. I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a, some of the last of the baby. Baby boom ended in, in 1960, not 65. Get real, folks. The baby boom was 1945 to 1960. 15 years of very productive uh, childbirthing. <laughs> because what do you think the soldiers did when they came home after years of war? <laughs> what do you think they did? Yeah. They repopulated really fast. <laughs> So uh, more power to him. That's when people got married right out of high school, like 19. Anyway, so yeah, I'm 63. Um, so I'm, I'm a baby boomer and proud of it and doing fine, by the way. Still exercising, losing weight and getting in better shape. So that's a good thing. Anyway, so trans, the trans agenda and the fact that you can't make fun of these people, of course you can. And we've had trans people on the show and I will continue to have trans people on the show. But I know and they know that they're not changing their sex. They're just changing their appearance and they're changing their body chemistry. And that's okay. If that's your choice. That's why you can't do it to kids, though, because kids can't make that choice any more than, they, than the minors can consent to sex. That's why we have statutory rape. That's why it's a thing, because we, we know that kids are a minor and cannot make that choice for themselves yet. Same thing here. Kids cannot make the choice to, to permanently alter their bodies with surgery and chemicals until they're adults. That's the difference between an adult and a child. So trans folks are not a civil rights group, uh, but I wouldn't stop them from doing it. Thing is, you know, two two gay people or or, or uh, people of the same sex, you know, do not get married. They form a union and a bond that's legal and and a domestic partnership, and that's fine. I've got no problem with that. You just don't call it a marriage because it's not. We'll have a right to be married. No, you don't. Nobody has a right to be married because it's contract. It's a contract between two people, you know, uh, recognized by God and uh, sanctioned by the uh, state or licensed, you know, recognized by God, licensed by the state. Anyway, I'll talk about that later. But you get the idea. But that's a funny meme, Marco. That is a funny meme. And that's, a, well, I heard a really interesting, Marco, what do you think of this? Marco's in the Netherlands, for those just joining us. Um, that part of the reason for this whole trans, and it's mostly uh, men trying to be women, uh, is that they want to make heterosexual men, you know, either get involved with or tolerate or accept or find attractive men who, who are trying to look like women. It ain't the same thing. Guys, I, I can tell the difference between a man pretending to be a woman and a woman. There's a difference, huge difference, all the difference in the world. And no man is ever going to become a woman uh, through surgery and drugs. Ain't going to happen. All right, back to the article. So let's get to his bad list. The first thing was the border crisis. Second thing was the banking crisis. Third thing was the food supply crisis. And the fourth is the control of energy infrastructure uh, is quietly being consolidated while the untenable shift to, quote, green energy will decimate the already limited uh, stability of the grid. Yeah, I've seen that before, too. I call it mono energy. So the mono energy folks want to put everything under electric, cars under electric, your home under electric, heating, cooling, computers, you know, power industry, everything under electric. Well, that's crazy. Anytime there's a monopoly, uh, especially when you have meters, to meter your electricity from the government, 
Well, with the government meters, the government can control. So those smart meters are not designed to measure your electricity more accurately. They're designed to ration your electricity. Same thing with electric cars. You know, the first thing California did was require electric cars. And the second thing they did was cause power, power failures so you couldn't charge your electric cars. <laughs> See how this works? They, put you, they, they force you into one type of power situation and then require you to use it and then take it away from you. So I said that the road to freedom is to restore our air, our water, our food, and our energy. Those are the four components of freedom, air, water, food, and energy. If we have air, water, food, and energy left alone, we'll be fine. But they don't want to do that. Next one, normalization of health scares that started with the COVID pandemic, 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 P-L-A-N-D-E-M-I-C from Judy Mikovits. COVID pandemic and continues with outbreaks of other diseases being treated uh, in the wild, being tested in the wild, excuse me, tested in the wild will further empower the medical tyranny industry. I like that medical tyranny industry. That seems to make sense. What we saw with the COVID lockdowns was just a taste of the draconian measures they have in store for the next pandemic. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? I told everybody. I said, you've got to resist this now so they don't do it again. I said that there's no constitutional authority um, that, they can do, that they can take it away. The Constitution is very clear. I went over this in the beginning of the show. The Constitution is very clear. It's always in force. It's needed most when there's an emergency of government power when they want to take away your rights. They can't do it. It doesn't matter what the crisis is. It doesn't matter how severe the war. It doesn't matter anything that your constitutional rights are always 100% in force. The government cannot touch your rights. Your rights are inviolate. Your rights are absolute within the context of what they say. Okay? To make that very clear, the Second Amendment, absolute right to keep and bear arms, to own and carry firearms. Once you start using them, you fall under statutory law, which is subordinate to the Constitution. But it also defines legal and illegal uses. As long as the government doesn't make a a law that touches the right to keep and bear, that law is constitutional. But since all of gun control's purpose is to touch your right to keep and bear, gun control is automatically unconstitutional. It's very simple. So you take the worst crisis you can think of. And you still have all your constitutional rights. They can't be touched. And in fact, freedom. If all our constitutional rights were completely um, free during COVID, COVID would have been over in about 10 weeks. Now they're preparing for the next thing because they got away with it because you idiots wore masks. You idiots didn't claim your constitutional rights. You idiots didn't go to church. You idiots didn't keep your businesses open. You morons followed the policies. And now you're going to get more of them. It's up to folks you know, like me to encourage folks like you to resist. But guess who's going to be first in the gulag? Me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going down without a fight. But uh, let's see what happens next time. Next bullet point. LGBTQIA+. What? This is, oh, yeah. LGBTQIA+. Supremacy isn't just about brainwashing leftists and children into questioning how they were created by God. It's about furthering the post-truth society they need for their plans to work. Yeah. You got to take away God. We talked about that. We talked about this. Why do you think there's so much God on my show? Because they're trying to take away God. J.D. Rucker says, by putting personal truth, I feel like a girl, so I must be a girl, uh, over objective truth. I have a penis, so I'm a boy. <laughs> That's what he says, right? They create a mass psychosis in which those who know the truth feel compelled, compelled to share in the lies. There's an article about that, too. I've got another one here the, about the real agenda of the, uh, of the trans folks. And there was a person that, well, basically it comes down to uh, the, the comment of, of one of the, the conservative folks says, I didn't think we could say that. I thought we had to say that trans was a civil right. No, you don't. I just said it wasn't. Did the world come down on me? Did, uh, did the power get cut off? 
You know, was I, did the FBI show up at my door? Well, not yet. It's only a matter of time, I figure. Guys, let me know ahead of time. I'll make coffee. We'll have a chat. And let's go to Marco again. He says, uh, he says you can buy a body kit to make your, your Mazda look like a Ferrari, but it will not turn your Mazda into a Ferrari. <laughs> that is a great comment. You can make, you can, yeah, exactly. You can buy a body kit to make your Mazda look like, like a Ferrari, but it will not turn your Mazda into a Ferrari. You can have surgery to make yourself look more like a woman if you're a man, but you will not be a woman. And all us straight guys know it. So all those, all those uh, uh, men that are, that, are transi- that are transitioning away from who you were to who you, who you are, <laughs> you know, who are having surgery and elective drugs, you're still a man. You're not the man you used to be, but you're still a man. And no straight guy is going to find you attractive. It just doesn't happen that way. And you can try and blame us you know, with guilt and things like that, but it's simply a fact of life that straight men are attracted to women the same way that straight women are attracted to men. That's how it works. That is the inviolate law of the universe. And no surgery or drug therapy is going to change that. And you're not a civil right. You can't use that to try and change our behavior and our thoughts. Because quite frankly, all the government policies in the world will not change how I think about men and women. I have friends who are men and women. That's a whole other story. I actually married one once. (laughs) That's another story too. All right. Next one, last bullet point. The massive rise in random violence will be the predicate for disarming the people and establishing an absolute police state. Yeah, that's why you've got to hang on to your guns. It isn't just the mass murders that make the news. It's the ongoing acceleration of pointless acts of violence uh, before we had to be concerned about being mugged for our possessions. That's obviously wrong, but at least we could comprehend how greed or desperation could drive people to act like that. Today, we're seeing far more violence for the sake of violence, as you, for the sake of violence, as even children are attacking each other just so they can be seen on a viral TikTok video. Yeah. Um, it, now, of course, there's another kind of violence. There's agenda-driven violence. There's the person that hired the uh, most likely illegal alien to drive a, a rented empty uh, U-Haul truck into a White House barricade with a Nazi flag on board. I'll bet you if I could question this guy for 30 seconds, he wouldn't know the first thing about Nazis. He wouldn't know that Nazis are leftists. In fact, most of America doesn't know that Nazis are leftists. So they might as well have the Democrat flag right there with the Nazi flag. It's the same thing. What's the difference? You look at the – I'm not talking about the Holocaust. Let's get away from the Holocaust and World War II. Okay? Let's talk about Nazi socialism. The Nazi stands for National German Socialist Workers' Party. And the socialists around the world have the same things, national health care, national education, national control of the means of production, you know, national welfare, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what the Nazis stood for. That's what they promised Germany. You know, Marco can probably confirm this. So if you, you know, I'm not saying that the Holocaust is any less important. But what I'm saying is if you look at, yeah, Nazi flag, Marco says the Nazi flag looks brand new. And it was positioned in a way on the street for the perfect photo op. Of course it was. Now, we know it was staged. I want to know who hired this guy. Well, they hired the wrong guy. They're supposed to hire white nationalists, whatever that is. By the way, I'm white, and I believe in my nation. So I guess that makes me a white nationalist. You know who else is a white nationalist? Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who helped us through World War II, although I think he might have caused it by uh, letting Pearl Harbor be attacked, but that's another story. Harry Truman, another Democrat, white nationalist, absolutely. John Kennedy was white, and he was a nationalist. He believed in this country, too. Saved us from a nuclear war, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So... The thing that people – well, Marco, let me ask Marco who's in the Netherlands. I said, do you have that same problem that, uh, that the left has done everything possible to characterize the Nazis and the communists? Uh, why don't they characterize the communists as, as right-wing, but they try and characterize the, the Nazis as right-wing, even though they're left-wing? Because all those totalitarian ideologies are left-wing. They have to be, by definition. Any totalitarian government is on the left. 
Because on the right, politically, the right extreme is no government. Well, Nazis weren't no government. They were absolute government. So the idea that Nazis are right wing is hysterical. It's laughable. It isn't true. But yet the conservatives don't come out with that. They should say the left is Nazi flag. So if One American News were decent and Newsmax were decent and any other conservative news service out there were decent, they would say there was a leftist Nazi flag draped by a possibly illegal alien in an empty rider truck in a staged event crashing into a White House barricade where nobody was hurt. So they made sure nobody was hurt. Let's see what uh, Marco says. What was the name of Hitler's political party? Yeah, Nazi. Uh, yeah, well, I already read over that. National Socialist German Workers Party. In other words, they were white nationalists. <laughs> yeah, they were white supremacists. So the Nazi Party is such a, a, a glaring example of, of uh, human cruelty and insanity because they are the, the, the epitome of white supremacists. They are the white supremacists. And being leftists, that means that white supremacists are leftists because it takes totalitarian government power to institute white supremacy. So the real white supremacists are always on the left. They're always the, the, the ones to use totalitarian governments for a Holocaust or mass deportation. See, conservatives, aren't the, conservatives are just the opposite because we believe in individual rights and limited government. Well, you can't believe in individual rights and limited government and be called a Nazi. That's, in, that's, that's irrational. And that's like someone, uh, you know, I don't know, I'll think of a better, that's probably the best example. You cannot call people who want limited government Nazis. That's just stupid because Nazis were total government. Then Marco says, what are socialists? Yeah, I know what socialists are. Control the means of production, control the money, control the education, control the media, um, control everything. Nothing wrong with racial pride. That's an interesting t- – oh, we got another person here who just joined us, Joseph Gibson. says, nothing wrong with racial pride. All right, we, well, explain to me what racial pride is. I'm, getting, I'm taking this from live chat, so I'm going to read the, um, the comments because you won't be able to see them if you're listening to the podcast. So racial pride. See, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't have racial pride. I don't. I'll tell you why. Because Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa were both white people, and they had nothing in common. Albert Schweitzer and Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is a mass murderer. Albert Schweitzer, a humanitarian, are both white people. Albert Einstein uh, and, uh, oh, let's see, who was a big segregationist? Bull Connor. You know, we're both white people. Um, you know, there's just, uh, you, you look at, uh, you know, uh, Lenin. Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. And George Washington, we're both white people, <laughs> okay? One started the communist revolution, the other is the founder of our country. So I don't have any racial pride. Am I, but do I have any, uh, any opposition to being white? No, I was born white. I'm going to stay white. I'm white. But I, but I don't think of myself as, as a group. I don't, look at other, I don't look at all white people and go, well, we're white people. We should have racial pride. I disagree with that. Uh, okay, so Joseph Gibson then says, racial pride is an attitude signifying a preference for cultural representations of its racial group. Well, see, I don't believe that because you've got, let, let's take uh, black Americans. You've got conservative black Americans. You've got uh, liberal black Americans. You've got rich and you've got poor. You've got uh, all kinds of different folks within that racial group. You've got Hispanic, same thing. You've got within white group. You've got great athletes and great intellectuals. You've got great artists and great musicians. You've got bums and criminals and murderers and all kinds of things. So uh, he says, there, says, there's nothing more important than your people. I disagree. Who are my, my, what do you mean my people? Who are my people? My people are not defined by color. You look at my people on the show. We've got every race and, and sex. We've got male and female. We've got black, Hispanic, me. We need more Asian folks. I need a rabbi too. <laughs> We've got a lot of Christians, but we need more Jews and Hindus and, uh, and Muslims calling in. Who are my people? And who are you, Joseph Gibson? 
And do you have a show on Blog Talk Radio? Identify yourself. See, I don't, I don't agree with him at all. Are you white, Joseph Gibson? I'm just curious. My people. Who are my people? My people are people that believe in freedom, independence. You know who my people are? MAGA. Make America Great Again. Those are my people. And they come in all colors, all ages, both sexes, all education levels, all talents, all income levels. Those are my people. You know who my people are? Those are my people. All right. I've got uh, 18 minutes left. Let's see if I can get to another article here. I don't have any left to play. I don't really want to. I'm kind of on a roll. Now I'm, now I'm inspired. Sometimes I can't talk that much, but now I'm inspired. Uh, it's a collapse. Oh, here's a good one. We'll talk about the American way tomorrow. Here's another one. Escape from the Twilight Zone. Let's bring, back, let's bring light back to America. And you got this Twilight Zone uh, thing on this TV screen. You're entering a new dimension of sight and sound. This is Rod Serling for the Twilight Zone. <laughs> anyway, um, it says Escape from the, the Twilight Zone. Let's bring, back, bring light back to America. Marco, you talk to Joseph Gibson. Let's see what you guys, uh, uh, let me see if I can get one more comment here. Yes, Destroying the Republic, Blog Talk Radio. Okay, so Joseph Gibson, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to copy your website. Feel free to call my show, Joseph Gibson, 215-383-3832. Uh, or send me a message first so I know that's your phone number so I can I don't have to call screen. I don't have time for that today. So I'm going to put uh, Joseph Gibson up there and see what Joseph Gibson's all about. Yeah, go listen to his show. Why not? It's going to be, it'll probably be different than mine because he talks about my people and I don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out what Joseph Gibson and I have in common. Okay, I got your website. Uh, so when live chat disappears, we'll, uh, I'll be all set. All right. Do, 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 do. All right, I read that one. Let's move this one back up here again. And limited time available. This is from Intellectual Takeout, one of my favorite websites. Feeding minds, you know, pursuing truth. That's a, those are my people. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry, I gotta resist. I don't, know, I don't like expressions like you know, my people and my tribe and all that other nonsense. So this is by uh, Jeff Minick, M-I-N-I-C-K. It was written May 22nd this year, so just a little bit ago. Uh, And he says, with apologies to any offended fans for this makeover of Rod Serling's introduction to the Twilight Zone, this is how I feel whenever I open my laptop, visit various news sites, and encounter the colossal amusement park of the fantastic, the strange, and the terrifying. (laughs) Sounds like life in America today. He says, here are just a few uh, takeaways from this day's visit to the Twilight Zone. On June 16th, the L.A., that'd be the Los Angeles Dodgers, will host a Pride Night featuring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, an anti-Catholic group of LGBT activists whose shtick is to dress as Catholic nuns and do lewd things in public, such as feigning sodomy and mocking sacred rites uh, with, with condom savior masses. Wasn't that interesting? Sports Illustrated announced that transgender women, in other words, men, <laughs> and pop star Kim Petras will appear as one of four cover models for its swimsuit edition. I'm sorry, men cannot be on the women's swimsuit edition. It just doesn't happen. And then it says, as happened so often recently in the world of sports, chromosomes XY trump chromosomes XX. I, it looks like I got a call, and I'm going to guess. I'm guessing this is going to be Joseph Gibson. I'm just guessing. If it's not, and you're a bad caller, you'll be banned forever. So first thing I do is always record everybody's phone number and uh, so that I'll know who you are next time. Uh, normally, I would call screen. I'd play an ad and do that, but I think I, I'm, I'm going to guess this is Joseph Gibson. Uh, yeah, it is. All right, so let me just uh, get the number down here, put it in my, my records for later, and let's uh, let's talk to the person, and let's find out what uh, what my people is all about. So let me make it live. live. Joseph Gibson, welcome yes, to sir. Action Radio. Go ahead. How you doing? Yes, sir. How you doing? Having a great time. I'm doing good. I wish you had more time to have the discussion. Obviously, you come winding down on time, but uh, yeah, I do have a show. That, 
Yeah, let's oh, try okay. another hour. Well, I do have a show. Um, okay. <laughs> and When's it's called it Understanding the Times in which we live today, and it's restoring our republic. I've been on for about eight years on Blog Talk Radio, and it's basically about uh, restoring our republic and uh, the beliefs of what our founders, uh, our constitution, restoring our constitution and uh, ridding ourselves of the uh, district of criminals, district of uh, corporation that we're all corporatized in, and um, – our government has been hijacked. It has been since the Reconstruction Acts after the Civil War. But what my comments meant by my people was, is look, we're all, we all identify ourselves by race, and that there's nothing no, that's going to change yet. The human ra- well, the human race has been doing it for, since the beginning of time. Now, you may not, you may not, but the majority of belief and standard of belief is we're going to, look, if you go to any prison, what, what do the inmates do? They segregate themselves automatically, whites with whites, blacks with blacks, Hispanics yeah, that's, with Hispanics, that's, right? That's not a natural situation. That's prison. That's a survival tactic. Well, well, okay. Well, survival. Survival makes you go into what? Your natural instincts, right? Kind of well, answer yourself well, there, right? No? Well, I'll tell you why you're wrong. Um, because when I, I lived in Australia for, for several years growing up as a kid, and race, we didn't even have a concept of race. And I had black kids, white kids, Asian kids. We had Maoris from New Zealand. We had Aboriginal Australians. We had Indians from India. We had white Europeans, Canadians, me, and another Canadian. We had an American. We had people of all races, all religions. We had Hindu. We had Buddhist. We had Jewish. We had Christian. And none of that mattered because we all wore the same school uniform. We didn't have a concept. Now, yes, we were kids, and I understand that. But what I'm saying is there are places, and in fact, most of this country, I don't think people, I think people recognize race, but they don't identify it with it. There's a difference. In other words, I can recognize a black person on the street, but I still see an America. When I came to this country, you know, and I, I walked into busing, you know, in Boston um, in, the, in, the, um, in the 70s, and I walked into this really strange situation where the black kids didn't like the white kids, the white kids didn't like the black kids. I'm like, you're all Americans. And so I didn't, I didn't see any difference between white Americans and black Americans. To me, it was American. So no, not everybody identified the race. This country does much more so than others. There's a reason that the black Americans, you know, especially in World War I, a lot stayed in France because France doesn't have a problem with color that this country does because they have a different history. Anyway, so I don't but, agree that we well, identify by race. That's possible. Yeah, that's a that's possibility. I mean, I've, I've heard your angle and before, but I'm just saying, well, oh, I good. live in America, so this is an American thing, so that's why I was saying I live in America it that too. way as far as, you know. Yeah, I'm here in Florida. <laughs> and that's, yeah, well, I mean, then obviously in Florida, you know, there's a lot. Of, what you have neo Nazis down there. I hear that a lot on the news down there. You have uh, well, yeah, black we got leftist groups. Yeah, well, the, the neo Nazis are leftists, and so all the Nazi groups are leftist groups. And I wish people would characterize them as such because that's what they are. That's the truth. Any any group that uh, you know talks about totalitarian government uh, is a leftist group. And this this myth. And this is what the this is what the truck uh, yesterday with the Nazi flag is so funny because you got this this stooge who drove a truck. They have the Nazi flag because they're trying to say that, that Trump is a Nazi. Well, that's impossible because anybody, as I said before, that believes in limited government, that believes in a constitution, that believes in individual rights cannot be a Nazi. And that's what uh, conservatives, independents, and patriots and, and Make America Great folks believe. So it's well, impossible to be Nazi. I mean, okay, I, that was obvious. That's obviously a set-up job. I mean, I, I, I don't. I never knew a, a gentleman that was of his background or culture or race or wherever, whatever he was, Middle Eastern descent, be a neo-Nazi. I never knew white supremacist groups to take those types of people into their groups. So, I, I know, I, you know. <laughs> well, no. First of all, I, w- I would love to, to to question this person and see what if they even know what the Nazi Party is, or what it stood for, yeah. or what it did. I, I would. I bet you his knowledge is, is next to nothing. Anyway, I, yeah, go ahead, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Got to agree yeah. with you on that one. 
But, uh, okay. you know, I just think that we, the, the things we face today in America, uh, the, identi- the identity of race, is there's just your, – your view is just not something that all the people in America are going to agree with. It's just the way we've been, way we've been born and bred, and I just see ourselves heading towards a separation, and it's the only way that we're going to be getting along. And that goes for whites and blacks. You see the, the, black, uh, the black hatred out there. You see the white hatred out there. And, look, I'm, I'm with you, you on it? that. Look, I see people where, where in America. Wait, 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 no, no. Slow down, slow down, slow. Where do you see it? Where do you see black hatred? Oh, come on. You walk in, you go to downtown Chicago at 3 o'clock in the morning and tell me you're not going to be attacked or harassed or in a housing unit project, low-income housing projects in Chicago. I've seen it happen. I'm from New well, Haven, Connecticut. maybe so, but, uh, you know, but is that purely a racial thing? I mean, if I, actually, you know, it, it, it might be uh, that, uh, you know, if you have predominantly black housing project or poor people, they might want to attack who people who they perceive as, as being white and, or they know as white and then perceive as being rich. But that's that's a media problem. That's a that's a political problem. That's an induced problem. That's not a natural state. Neither okay, well, who induces these matter. problems in the media, basically? Who does control this? Now, let's, let's go back. Now, the Nazis would agree with this. The Jewish people and the, the Jews who control the media. Am I right or wrong? You're wrong. Well, if you look at the names of the CEOs of all these companies, they, they spark Jewish dissent, if you ask me. I mean, uh, okay, look at so, George Soros. So, right, Jewish, now, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's take a look at this. So, so your contention is that people, if people who are Jewish who own media um, are then controlling it, are they controlling it for the benefit of Israel? Are they controlling it for the benefit of Judaism? Are they, controlling, no. are they working together exactly? Uh, yes. Who are they controlling the it World for? War. Okay, so it's now we're getting a new somewhere. world order, global so, elite community. So, if you look at Israel, which which believes in independence, uh, I don't see how being Jewish, uh, and and you know when you say controlling the media, um, it, it, we always need to get into the motivations as to why why you think so. So, the, so you believe the Jews believe in the new world order? I think Jews are fighting against yes. the new world order. Yes, the new world order is a concept. It's not. It's not new. It's not something new. It's old. And this concept of this ideology that it's a religious, it's a fundamental belief of an elitist group that think they can control the world population. They've been doing it for since. But that's not a Jewish eons, thing. Beginning of time. <laughs> you know, I, I don't Excuse think. Me? I don't know. If, that's not a Jewish thing. I don't know if Rupert Murdoch is Jewish and he controls Fox News and the New York Post. Actually, but he even is. If, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Okay, fine. But even, uh, but he's not doing that for the benefit of Jews. <laughs> See, this is the thing. So, if, if Jews, no, so if not Jews. That, well, I say Jews. I say Jews, but it's not. It's not really Jews. You're looking at it's the international clique of new of new world order money changers, the way you want to call them, maybe the bankers. Uh, you know, I'm just saying that you have a Jewish conspiracy, and you also have a Roman Catholic conspiracy too with the Jesuits. So, the Roman Catholic Church. There's a deep underground new world order movement that's been mm-hmm. working to undermine freedom in this world and individuality that you're talking about for a very long time. Um, Marco's got a question for you in the Netherlands. He said, well, where are you located, first of all? You just give him the state. I'm, I'm in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And actually, I'm okay. a candidate for North Carolina House of Representatives in District 65 oh, here. Okay, good for you. Go for it. So, Every Marco's question is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. Uh, but Marco asks you, does he mean Zionists? I mean, do you, do you think of Jews as Zionists? And I'm not yes, sure. Yes, that, okay. yes. Not all, not all. But there are a select few, you know, there's bad apples in every group of people. But I'm just saying that the majority of the, the money is controlled through this Jewish and Jesuit uh, projects that they have with these. With the Rothschilds, we all heard of them, right? J.P. Oh, yeah, Carnegie, Warburg's. Yeah, yeah, the Medici, the whole bit. Yeah, I've got that. Okay, so, so let, let me ask you something. Uh, so, so Jews, um, there's a lot of Jewish-owned businesses. 
And there's a lot of Jewish accountants, Jewish lawyers, Jewish doctors, things like that. But if you look at the Jewish tradition, you know, you look at Jews throughout history, they've been persecuted for owning things like farms, you know, uh, for all kinds of stuff. So one of the few avenues left to Jews to prosper was in business. And so that well, even Jesus, so the, even Jesus said, said about the Jews, he said, you're of your father, the sin of God of Satan. He even said that, Jesus even said that, because these are, you're not really, a, you know, those who claim to be Jews are not, and you're of the father, of, you're the sin of God of Satan. No, that's a whole different topic. I don't, I don't, no, I think you're yeah. getting away from the topic. Well, it ties but into the New World is, Order, though. Okay, so why, so why are more um, NBA basketball players black than Jewish? Uh... I, I couldn't answer that. Maybe because they're taller, they're better at it. naturally taller. <laughs> they're better at it. You know? so how many Jews are over seven foot? <laughs> you know, in other words, people exactly. do what they do best. So I don't mind that. I don't care if every media outlet is owned by someone who is Jewish. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. What I care about okay. is are, okay, they, are I they presenting? Agree. Oh, wait, wait. Let me finish. Are they presenting all the news? Are they are they biasing no. the news in favor of the new world order? Now, if an owner, if a if a media owner. Is, is, as you're saying, portraying it for the New World Order and propaganda. I don't care if they're Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist. I don't care what they are. They're doing something wrong. I agree. So, ra- so rather agree. than focus on the religion and condemning the religion, because they're acting on behalf of the religion. You know, there's no, there's no rabbi telling Rupert Murdoch, here's what you have to do to be, to be you know, a good uh, Jewish person. That's not happening. So, so the religion is not the main thrust here. The thrust is what they're doing with the media. So let's concentrate on well, that. Well, I'm just stating that the fact that, they, that that's the religion that they practice these evil people. Now, if they were all black and they, and they were doing it, then I would say these were mainly the black a majority. Like I said, not every single one is responsible. But it doesn't matter. I don't care what religion click, they are. You know? The religion's not the issue. So you can't condemn a religion. Well, the Talmud. Because... Practice, well, the Talmud. You know that the Talmud practices. Do you know cut, they actually cut the skin off of a baby's penis and suck on the blood? That's, that's, that, that, that I devil really wish that's you hadn't said helmet. that. I really wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, don't, don't, you know, I mean, all right, okay, fine. So I can't prove it. I don't want to hear about it. Correctly, we can have a discussion without going getting graphic. Okay. So don't do that again. Anyway, unless that's there's fine. a really good reason for it. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about, I mean, circumcision is a whole different issue. And we talk about general mutilation. That's well, it's thing. blood sacrifice. That's why I brought it up. And, there's, and that's my point. Mm. As you see, we're talking about evil. Okay, I'm a theology as a student also. Okay, but so a master's okay. degree in theology. I've studied cults, world religion, and the theological practices of re- institutionalized religion around the world control a lot of the things that are happening in our world today, and people don't understand that because they're blinded to the facts because of their own perception of reality that's not true, that's been pressed upon them by what the TV, the media, the newspapers, the music, the, the fads today, how you dress, what you eat, the chemicals in the food. This is a big, well-designed machine that out there, the New World Order. It's not some idea that was invented yesterday. Oh, I'm, I'm, not new, I'm not questioning New World Order. I'm not questioning the elitists. We've always had elitists. You look at technocracy, you look at that movement, you look at the Bill Gates folks, you look at COVID, you look at the, the folks that want to take over our country, and so during the whole COVID debacle, you look at all that kind of stuff. That's definitely organized. I mean, there's an organized okay. effort to take away our food, our energy, our freedom, our air, our water, our farms, and all that stuff. That makes perfect sense. I understand that. Okay. I just don't want you to blame a religion for it because that's, that's just counterproductive, and it's wrong. Okay, well, it, we, we can agree to disagree on that because if the majority of them are doing it and they're no, practicing we, we just, that religion. No, we just disagree. <laughs> we, we don't agree to disagree. We just disagree. Let, let's be blunt. All okay, right, we can disagree to, uh, on that. Okay, that's fine. And that's fine. You can disagree with me all you want. I have no problem with that whatsoever. As long as you stay true to what you believe, I'm fine. So racial yeah, pride, let's talk, let's, let's talk about that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so what is racial pride? 
because I don't have any racial pride. I don't. It's not a concept that I understand. Makes no sense. Well, the definition of racial pride evolved, you know, to, uh, to uh, you know, denote both what a racial you? socialism message that's promoting heritage, you know, and okay. a culture that we, mm-hmm. we we press upon our children at first, and then in adolescence, and then an attitude that endor- endorses positive racial identity, uh, you know, among us as adults. Then, and I think what, that where we come from, and as a people, where you come from, your history of your people, uh, is very important. I mean, we're not a mongrel race. Of, of oh, I don't, no, wait a minute. Wait, I don't mind. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll tackle the mongrel thing in a bit. But the idea of your people and your history and your ancestry. So what's, what's your race? My race, I come from European descent, which is German, English, that vicinity. So, so you're a white European, guy. Just say yes, it. You're a white I'm guy. I'm a white guy. Okay, fine. So where, where, where's the origin of white people? Well, Europe, Europe right? European. No. Norwegian, Swedish, Scotland. No, 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 no. Caucasian. Whites come from well, the Caucasian, Caucasus okay, Mountains. Okay, I didn't know if you wanted that name. That's where the Caucasian comes the from. Right? So, so that's the origin of white people. All right, so, yeah, so it goes back. Yeah, so Europe is populated by white people. Africa okay. is populated by black people. Asia is populated by Asian people. <laughs> okay, pretty much. Correct. All right, so, 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 but how much in common, you know, if you trace our roots back to, because I'm a white guy too. All right, so we've got a couple of white guys talking here. So if we trace our roots back to the original white people, in the Caucasians, you know, the Caucasus Mountains. Um, does that does that influence who we are today? I mean, do we ride horseback on the steps and like uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Conan the Barbarian? What is best in life? Well, it, ride the I think steps. it does. In our genes. on my shoulder. <laughs> who cares? You know, well, in our genes and our chromosomes and our DNA, yeah, I think there okay. is a there's a blueprint there somehow, some way. Okay. Yeah, sure. We have different so, features for different reasons. So let's, let's go back ancient history. Um, ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, uh, and then we'll get to medieval times. Do we have, so do we derive our, our history from, what's our history from the Greeks, for example? What's our history from the Romans? What's our history from the Babylonians? Were they white people? I don't know, they're probably Middle Eastern. I'm trying to think of white people. Well, what, you want to go back to Adam and Eve, and you want to start from there in the beginning? Well, we I mean, could, but, but the question, well, were Adam and Eve in the Caucasus Mountains? <laughs> We've got 90 seconds. you got to call another time. <laughs> well, we go from Adam and Eve, you go to Japheth, Ham, and, and uh, uh, Shem. Okay, you have Shem, which is the Asian Asian uh, group. You have Ham, which is the black, uh, uh, and then Latin, and then you have Shem, which is the white. Okay, I mean, excuse me, Japheth, is, which is the white. And what did the Bible say? Japheth would, would what? Head wet, head where? West and dwell in the tents of Shem. What did what did the Americans do? They headed where? To the American shores, and, and what did they do to the Indians? Dwelled in the tents of the Indians, right? See, the Bible was very interesting because it, the well, yeah, prophecies we, we that are had, in there come uh, true. We do, our, we do our Bible stuff earlier in the show. We had Wendy's on with the Oh My God report. Um, we don't have time for a lot of this now, which is too bad. Uh, yeah. like we only, well, we can go over time in a few minutes. Marco, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, when he, when he, uh, Marco, Marco's in the Netherlands. Like I said, he types in all. I'd be happy to call in another time. You tell me when, and I'd be happy to come, come in. And, and um, we could discuss something open hours. I've got some time. Let me just take a look real quickly here. I think tomorrow is busy. I would say next week. Um, either next on, week, okay. Uh, on a Tuesday, I think the third hour I'm open. Wednesday, I think I have the second two hours open. Thursday, I have the okay. first two hours open. I'm writing I may it down have right rest, now. But, so. Yeah, I mean, so, so Wednesday or, or Thursday are your best bets. Um, and if I have and a you're guest, always welcome to call in, call into my group on my podcast, which I have okay. all, many, many so different to, different uh, callers, and I, I do open phones all the time. So okay, and I can talk to your people. <laughs> uh, my people. That's why I said that. My people. <laughs> okay. So when's your <laughs> but show? You, but you'd be surprised. I got a lot of blacks and a lot of different other types of people too that we kind of really? agree with all this. So <laughs> that aren't your people. So you have people that aren't your people. <laughs> See, blacks are my people. 
See, the, the, yeah, well. I mean, if you believe in freedom, you're my people. So my free, my people includes black, Asian, Hispanic, men, women, old, young. You look at the show. The show has believe has in the all, Constitution all and freedom. Okay, that's not a problem with that. You know, I need to be a rabbi. I need a rabbi. I want to get a rabbi on the show. <laughs> you know, rabbi, but most rabbis won't believe in our Constitution. That's the problem. Most. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I don't believe that for a second. But I'll, I'll well, believe I'm not the sure rabbi. About that. Well, really, what do you, you think the Jewish... If we have a Judeo-Christian ethic, if we have a Judeo-Christian belief, how can we say that the, the Jews don't believe in freedom and don't believe in the Constitution? Then why in sense. Israel are they trying to sponsor legislation and laws to put Christians in prison? Well, I have to see that law. I don't know that for a fact. Well, but uh, there's a lot Google of stupid it. laws that come out. <laughs> you know, why, why do you have people here that swear an oath to the Constitution and then uh, try to enforce gun control? Well, yeah. We, yeah I mean, you know, you know, we, we can, can do that. I can give you lots of examples. Long, but, I'm, but we're talking about Jews, though. We're talking about rabbis. No, you're so, talking about you, you know. God, I've had enough time with you. The rabbi will bring the rabbi on. I'll tell you what they'll do. Uh, uh, Joseph, I'm going to bring Wait, on don't the get me wrong. Now, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than anybody else. I'm not trying to say they should be in any lower okay. class than myself. Are Jews your I'm people? just saying. Are Jews your I, people? We're part, part of the one human race, yes, if you want to consider it that way. No, yes, are they white? In other words, no. no. That's a weasel answer, yes or no. Are Jews, are Jews your people? Well, it's like a hard answer to ask because you know what? Right now, I'm, we're, we're in a culture war where, where the white man is put down and he's made, well, made fun of. It, you know, and I think it's yeah. I think it's really tiresome, and that's why I think it's a time that pe- white people stand up for their race, and this conversation do do does exactly? need to be had. How do white people stand up for their rights different than other people standing up for their rights if the rights are universal and equal? What we're doing right now, getting it out in the open and talking about it. Okay. See, I actually write laws. I have bills at writeyourlaws.com, which you might want to take an interest okay. in and maybe sponsor. Um, but we yeah. actually deal with, with – but those laws apply to everybody. They don't apply just to white men. They don't apply just okay. to anybody. You know, I don't believe in laws that only apply to certain uh, to my people. I agree with I you have, there, one hundred percent. I don't have my yep. people. I don't have a my people. I, you know, <laughs> my only people is me, and then everybody else that I come in contact with. Well, I um, think you're taking it to the extreme where I say my people, and that means my people only, and I don't and I don't care about anybody else. What I mean is my people, where I'm just celebrating my heritage and race. Look, we're all equal here, and we all have. We should be. Well, I don't celebrate my heritage, freedoms. but I, I don't celebrate my race, nor do I uh, uh, complain about it. You know, I don't deride it. Oh, I don't celebrate oh. it. Because I don't believe it. Well, I'm, I don't believe, well, that's, I don't believe that, in the concept of race. That's your free will, brother. That's your free will. But, uh, you know, I have I, a lot no of people. <laughs> concept of race. I recognize that people have different skin colors, but I have no concept of race, if that makes sense. Um, Joseph, okay. we've got to go. Um, we ended the show a little right. bit ago. Well, nice talking to fun. you. Nice talking to you, too. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. You, too. Bye now. All right, so I played everything. <laughs> There's not much left. That was a great call, by the way. I really I was glad to have uh, Joseph on. We have, uh, we have many more things to talk about, I'm sure. And uh, sorry that Marco missed the end of the conversation, but uh, he can catch the podcast the last few minutes and, uh, and pick up on it. Anyway, um, this is great. It's a great way to end, uh, end the show today. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a real disagreement out there, and that's what caused I, I, you know, my people. I mean, everybody's my people. If you believe in freedom, you're my people. If you believe in communism, socialism, fascism, Nazism, any totalitarianism, you're not my people. And I don't care what your race, religion, uh, height, you know, sex, you know, uh, age, uh, income status, none of that stuff matters to me. Anyway, uh, we got to go. So the, the main show site, the one you're listening to, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. The second uh, one is writeyourlaws.com. That's where our bills are, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And then, of course, our Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. I have to get another article out today. I really need to do that. Um, and our contribution sites, uh, the main site, uh, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. And I think that's it. 
So anyway, let me play today's uh, appropriate um, song. Let me see what's my, what's my classical selection for today. Here we go. So I'll play this. We've, we've done with everything. It's been fun. It's been a blast today. And I hope the city of Milton learned something from the second hour. <laughs> and hope everybody learned something from the third hour. That was just a great time. So let me pull up my, excuse me, my musical selections and play this. And then I'll be back tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time, just like always.